0: Let's we'll go. Everybody, welcome to the base brotherhood my name is Alex aka lead pacer I'm joined by our production guru Lassad Corday and our honored guest is Montgomery Markland also known as Mani and this is our episode number five Mani where are you joining us from today are you in Dallas I am in Caracas. what that what are you doing there i'm in dallas <laughs> <laughs> See, it looks like dallas to me that seems yeah, I, mean, I think I, mean, I might know you're i think i might even have an idea where you're at but uh
1: guess. yes i want to hear
0: um you're somewhere west of the tollway yes okay i think you're west of the tollway somewhere um close to lemon but north of lemon yes and that's where that's where I'm gonna not be able to go any further from there. Where are you?
1: Uh, give us your exact coordinates. Tollway and <laughs> Lovers Lane.
0: Okay. Well that makes sense. Well which, listen, is not, man, which
1: is not close enough to drone strike me after what I say tonight, but
0: Yeah, yeah. Well you've already said a few things that may get you in trouble and you're still kicking. You're still alive and kicking, so a few <laughs> we're we're gonna get started so um you know i know you well we've been friends for several years now and uh you're one of the smartest guys i know and i tell people i say this guy's so fucking smart i can't tell like if he's full of bullshit or it's all real because he'll give me dates and figures and numbers and
1: and they all end up being correct
0: and they all end up being right and i'm like i think he's just right about almost everything but it's it'll scare the shit out of you sometimes
1: Well, I'll say this. Uh, For a while, I was like, uh, I'll I'll soft pedal it and say, oh, you know, I just am lucky. But the honest truth is, I'm just really good at logic and math. I don't know if that's smart or whatever. I don't know about those terms, but I'm good at logic. I'm good at math. And Mm -hmm. most of the things I say are based in logic and math and objective ideas. And so they tend to be proven true over time because... I'm a data oriented guy. Uh, You know, my first job was in politics doing political data for the redistricting in Texas in in 2001. And so I I look at the data, I I worked on the public, I was the senior legislative policy guy for the Texas legislature on public health. And that was very data driven. I've always been very data driven. And so I look at the data and I have no problem like discarding any personal preferences or subjective ideas and just look at the data and what does the data tell me? And so being data-driven, and then that was reinforced in my career in video games, uh, being data-driven, if you just issue, you know, what you want to have happen and just look at the data and say, what does this say is probably going to happen? You'll mm-hmm. end up being pretty accurate over time, I I think anybody can do that. I don't think you have to be like Einstein genius to just be data-driven and find generally correct, correct over time solutions to mysterious or problematic questions.
0: Yeah, and and it really is a curiosity and it's seeking the truth and it's wanting to know the real answers. And I think you're one of those guys that's probably since you came out of the womb has had a pretty damn good bullshit detector. Yes, and, and realize when someone's trying to snow you they're trying to pull one over mm-hmm. and some people just have a nose for it I think I'm okay at it I think you're really really good at it I mean guys I, I've shown Monty pictures of people and he'll look at them and say yeah you know she's a liar and I'm like what what are you talking about and he's totally right on so he's, his powers of perception are really high whether it's just intuiting somebody based on a visual or if it's You know, something that is, you know, really diving into the finer points of data, which I know he did. And I kind of want to jump into this because we talked about this for hours in Dallas over beers and cigarettes about the 2020 election and what happened. And I was hearing you give me more reasonable, pragmatic, um, you know, reasons why this thing, why things turned out the way that they did. than what I was finding anywhere on Twitter or the internet. And so I'm just going to open that up to you. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about the 2020 election. And is it something where you anticipated what was going to happen in advance of the actual election? Or was it the night of it? You know, you realize, hey, something's rotten in the state of Denmark. Let's go back to that and tell me, you know, what your your feelings were at the time.
1: My belief starting around may or june of 2020 was that it was going to be a very 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 close race i've i worked in politics professionally uh on several very 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 close races including bush v gore in 2000 and in 2000 we me and a couple other guys that worked in politics in austin just, uh, you know, looked at the numbers and decided that there was a non-trivial chance that uh, Bush and Gore would actually tie in the Electoral wow. College. And this was in the summer of 2000, you know, months before the election. And we said there's like a 4% chance or a 7% chance or a 6% chance or whatever it is that they're going to tie in the Electoral College and you need to have a game plan if that happens. And, and they were like, well, we don't think that's likely, but what's the game plan? So we wrote a brief about that. And we went into Article 3 and the 12th and 20th Amendment and state legislature authority over elections. And we wrote a long brief uh, you know, in legal uh, structure that explained how a campaign should operate if it's a 269 269 tie and there are one or more states in dispute In this case it was just one it was Florida uh, in, in the in the actual action after we had written the brief preemptively and our our recommendation in 2000 to Carl Rose, and all of Bush's lawyers, including Ted Cruz, and his entire campaign apparatus was, and my ex-wife worked on the Bush campaign, our recommendation was that if it's not decided on election day and it's not decided shortly after election day, and you don't find recourse in the courts for something that's very narrow, you're going to end up in a situation where either the state legislatures are going to decide which slate of electors are valid in one or more states. In this case, it ended up being Florida. Or it's going to be gridlocked and it's going to end up in the U.S. House of Representatives for the president and the Senate for the vice president. And and if that happens, you're going to win the presidency because you, because you have 26 GOP delegations and and 24 democrat delegations and so you'll still win but it's going to be kind of crazy because that's never happened so we laid out the whole process for it and the steps that need to be taken and addressing the florida state legislature all before the election day and it was part of the you know you can talk to what was it olson i think was one of the one of the attorneys back in 2000 we laid this all out, and this this idea of like people want to say that Trump was being radical in in a, in a, in availing himself of the state legislative uh, authority over the electoral process in their state. Uh, people want to say Trump was 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 dangerous, radical for availing himself. But that's absurd. That was the fail-safe plan for the Bush campaign.
2: Mm -hmm. Dick
1: Cheney signed off on it. George W. Bush signed off on it. William Bennett signed off on it. Baker signed off on it. Everyone signed off on it. It It was the plan. It was the thing that they were going to do if they lost at the Supreme Court or didn't get certiorari. And so, the idea was, if 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 we lose at the Supreme Court and don't get cert at the Supreme Court, we're going to go and lobby the legislature to intercede in this election. We're going to argue that it's that the outcome is unknowable because it was when you got like 500 ballots out of millions. I mean the you know, just random human error, not even fraud, just random human error yeah. can render that outside the margin. And so they, they were ready and, and going to do that. It was their failsafe plan or our failsafe plan, I should guess I should say. And, and then step two of that was, if that didn't work, you throw it to Congress during the joint session on January 6th. And you say, these are the problems, and we need to have a full hearing on this, and we need to evaluate it all. And if you can't come to an agreement, then it has to be a contingent election, is what they used to call it, or a 12th or 20th Amendment election. And and so that was the plan for the Bushes. And if that was the plan for George, H- George W. Bush, who I know and I'm friendly with, and he's not a bad guy. I like him. He's always a very friendly guy if that was the plan for him and his campaign and Dick Cheney and his campaign, and it was okay for them, why is it not okay for Donald Trump?
0: And and that's the question is, it sounds like these contingencies were well prepared for with the Bush yeah, campaign. Yeah. And we forget about how close that was. I mean, I remember the hanging chads and right. people looking up and examining it. And is this, uh, you know, did they puncture all the way through it? It looks like they might've perforated a little bit. What do they really mean to do? Is just a legitimate ballot. I mean, it was crazy and it really just came down to, you know, again, a few hundred people, yeah. but it's something to where the mechanics of what would happen were already, it was already being game plan. Game plan. It was being war game with you guys And it sounds like a lot of smart people were there.
1: Yeah. Before early voting started. I mean, we started this in July of 20,
0: of 2000. Right. And so with the Trump campaign, what do you think happened? Do you think there was that same apparatus in place in the same? Yes. Yes. Capital. Okay. I don't,
1: I don't think I I, I was part of it.
0: Okay. Okay. Let's talk (laughs) about that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I got no, they can call me in front of the January 6th committee. I'll tell them everything. (laughs) that's why I will never get called in front of the January 6th committee they don't want to hear everything
0: so let's 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 talk about what happened so leading up to the election you had you know experience from you know 20 years prior and understanding this is something that could happen again and and so you you were able to kind of see that did you did you know with all of the mail-in ballots um, that it was going to be – I mean, I'm sure you know, it was going to be even more convoluted, more complicated, and it, there wouldn't be any winner declared the night of November 3rd.
1: I was fairly confident that was ha- going to happen before the night of November 3rd.
0: Okay. Hang on one
1: second.
0: Yeah, sure.
2: Yeah.
1: Anyway. Yeah. Anywhere. 7-Eleven or Shell?
0: Go on. Yeah. So – um when did you get pulled into? Because I know that you were running numbers like crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, really the night—I mean, almost the night of—like you realize uh, this is getting like way, like th- this is nuts. What's happening right now? The
1: the wh- the, ca- the catalyzing moment.
0: Yes, the catalyzing moment.
1: And 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 I want to be clear that this isn't just me. This is. And I can't really get into the details of who they are for a variety of reasons, but these are serious people that work together as a group of seven people, all with critical subject matter expertise in political data, information technology, hardware, uh, computer hardware, uh, foreign elections and interference, uh the united states government apparatus generally uh military actions in foreign elections um just you know a a a group of people that i'm friends with for years that just happen to have like a really critical mass of knowledge and subject matter skills uh in that were that were pertinent to q4 of 2020 and and we didn't we were like kind of watching things and looking at things and making uh projections and hypotheses about what could happen what should happen what what states would be uh early bellwethers when we saw exit polls or whatnot Mm -hmm. uh and And so it was it was we had an interest in it, but we weren't actively looking for anything. We didn't. Our general point of view as a group was that uh, it was probably a coin flip between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And it ended up being whatever happened to take that aside. It was a coin flip. And that was our opinion before it happened. We figured, you know, he's got about a fifty percent chance of winning, a fifty percent chance of losing each side, and so, and so, one of them winning or losing uh, wouldn't have really changed our posture. We wouldn't have activated and started doing things if, if it had just been oh, coin flip, one of them won, one of them lost. Right. That that wouldn't have triggered us to engage in seven guys for three months uh which is 21 man months so like uh more than a 1.5 man years of labor in three months uh really digging deep into the election system user manuals the hardware diagrams the circuit boards the Mm, uh connectivity issues uh going over into the like illegitimate vote area like are there really dead people voting we looked we found them and i'll explain a little bit more about that in a second but i mean we got evidence that nobody's ever seen that is is you know as good as a good movie and <laughs> so no, nobody's ever seen it nobody's ever heard it and there's a reason for that and i'll explain that too uh but on the night of the election the thing that really motivated us to take a second look and say wait should we look at this a little closer we have the capacity to look at it closer should we look at it closer is there something worth looking at here because uh, up until that point we were just kind of you know people with our own professions and lives you know that happen to have a unique set of skills and and happen to be in the same place at the same time but We mostly came from like being friends, from playing video games and stuff like that. And so so on the night of the election, the the thing that triggered kind of a cascading series of events was when Fox News called Arizona. Yes. And I've been on a campaign on election night many times and I'm usually the data guy. So, so I looked at that and my gut feeling was that can't possibly be an accurate call.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: too close. You can't possibly have any degree of certainty about that call. But that was just a gut feeling. So I didn't say that. I didn't like start hammering Chris Wallace's producer yet or, or on Mil. <laughs> Not Arnold Milchan, he's the spy. Uh, what's his name?
0: Wait, who, who are we thinking of here? Give me a... Starwalt,
1: me a... Star-Walt and Milchin? Who, who are the... I, I, know know, who you're,
0: I know who you're... I can't recall the name. I know who you're talking about. Chris something?
1: Chris Starwalt and and Milchin. Mil something. I don't remember his name. We uh, got
0: fired. We'll find it. We'll um, find it. We'll
1: so... they called that. And I didn't think it was nefarious or anything. And I'm not sure it is to this day. I think they just the computer said call it. So they called it fine. But you can uncall it It happened in 2000. So I went and communicated to everybody I know at Fox News, the producers mainly, some personalities. And I said, you can't, you can't legitimately call this. And, th- and, and that, that communication to about 30 people went out nearly instantaneously, within three minutes of them calling Arizona. I said, you can't call this because I'm running the numbers right now while I'm talking to you and the numbers say it's impossible for you to call. What you can say right now, for sure, is that either Joe Biden or Donald Trump will win Arizona by less than or around ten thousand votes. You can say that right now. For sure. Why don't that's, they, why don't they do that?
0: Money, that's a really good question though. Why don't they do that? Why do they need to do these calls whenever there's well, so much data to be to be gathered? I don't it doesn't make any sense. Just generally, as a point,
1: why, why wouldn't not? they do that? One, I think it's, they have a desire to be first. It's like a journalism, reporter, media thing. Like if you're first, then you're the one getting the clicks. You're the one getting the hits. You're the one whose channel everybody's turning to. I don't think it's like a conspiracy and cabal. that's like uh, call Arizona Fox News and then it's over. I don't think that's, that, that, that's nonsense. But I think that there's a, an urge or desire to to be first. Yeah. In that And in even if they're wrong, even if it's fake or whatever, just to be first, because that's going to drive audience. It's going to get people to tune to your channel. It's going to drive ratings, which drives your ad revenue. And, and it
0: puts pressure on the other networks, too, to find out whatever Fox knows. Right. So
2: that right, what now Fox
1: they... knows that we don't know.
2: Right.
0: So you're
1: you're so everybody starts chasing you. So I think it's a little bit of a like a cynical business decision more than it is. uh An agenda decision or a ideological decision
2: right right i think it's It's just just...
1: you know it seemed like a business opportunity to be the first out of the gates with the arizona call but the arizona call was wrong it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if the arizona call ended up being right if you say there was nothing wrong with arizona's election and joe biden won it by 10x thousand votes It doesn't matter if you end up being correct if calling it at the time was still incorrect Mm -hmm. so i said that's not a correct call and i went and i got down to the precinct level in arizona on the night of the election in the 20 minutes prior to me blasting people with communication and i looked at arizona precinct by precinct what votes been counted i looked at the you know i got it from the secretary of state and i looked at every precinct in the state added it all up outstanding vote uncounted vote counted vote historical vote all of it and there was no way that anyone who is a political data expert and i i don't say that lightly because I drew the congressional districts for the state of Texas in 2001. I was barely old enough to drink. I I, I luck boxed into (laughs) it. I was the youngest guy in a suit who knew how to use a computer. And so I looked at the data as fine grained as it can get. And I said, it's impossible right now to declare with any sort of confidence that Anything is going to happen other than you could say with near one hundred percent, ninety-nine point, you, you could say with six sigma accuracy, on the night of the election, that either Biden or Trump would win Arizona by no more than ten thousand votes plus or minus a minus thousand votes. That you could say that when they called it, but that's not that's different than calling it, and so. I said that's that's bogus. You can't call this. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. You don't know who voted in some of these late reporting precincts and counties. You don't know, like, who voted all of a sudden that didn't vote in the prior two. Like, there's too much noise, and right. you just don't have a good read on it. So, so calling it is irresponsible. It doesn't. It doesn't matter who it hurts. Uh, it's just irresponsible to say that because it wasn't factually supported it wasn't supported by data and it wasn't supported by fact and and a lot of people that made that call on the night of the election at fox in 2020 they've since been fired i don't know if that's connected or not but hey
2: or just generally
0: they're generally incompetent or (laughs) a little too trigger happy (laughs)
1: yeah i was like you can wait like 30 minutes and like run the numbers like seven different ways and like maybe like think about it that way Right. And so, and that was a message that was delivered to all of them directly. So, so that happened and that got me like more interested in the more interested in spending my time. Cause I don't work in politics right now. I have in the past, but currently I don't, but I'm still in almost all of my professional endeavors, very data driven. And right. so that got me interested in digging into the data in other states. I was like, well, what else? what is really going on? Because this is idiosyncratic from prior elections. What's going on in, in in the in the closest states? We looked at New Hampshire, Virginia. We looked at Nevada, Arizona. We looked at uh, New Mexico. We looked at uh, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, Iowa. Uh, you know all the. Virginia? georgia obviously oh yeah the, the the seven states there was focused on and then an additional like four states okay and while we started to dig into that the uh the vote counting stopped the tabulation stopped in the middle of us doing this which was unprecedented never seen it happen and i don't think anybody has. and that was curious we found that to be curious uh but we didn't jump to any conclusions we didn't say this happened or that happened we just stayed focused on the data and kept compiling data and putting it into a uh, sql database and cross-referencing it and and measuring all of the and then we started pulling in and this is where i think i think the people that did the post-election i think they don't get enough credit whether it's Rudy Giuliani or Jenna Ellis or whoever, I don't think they get enough credit because being behind and like being behind a week later in five or six states or whatever it was, uh, getting over like winning a post-election challenge with that many jurisdictions has never happened, and it's an insane proposition. And they got as close as anybody's ever gotten to doing it, and so. You have to give some credit to those folks, whether they won or lost. Uh, the, But we started looking at everything and we even pull, started pulling in because it became rapidly apparent to us that this was a multi-state problem. So we said, all right, we have the state data, we have the voting data, we have this, we have that. But. We need, we need a control, we need, uh, we need data that has nothing to do with an election. So we started pulling in data from federal agencies. So we looked at HHS, we looked at Department of Education, we looked at the Bureau of Prisons, we looked at a variety of federal agencies to give us other numbers right hss tells you how many people are in this cohort or that cohort in relation to voting it tells you how many people are non-compass mentis and not eligible to vote. It tells you how many people are dead uh department oh, of education wow. department of education tells you how many people are under the age of 18 and not eligible to vote
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh bureau of prisons tells you how many people are in federal penitentiary and not eligible to vote and if you have a federal penitentiary in your county like allegheny county it's a non-trivial number as related to the percentage of the population. And then we looked at the census data. We said how many people were actually alive in the United States of America on election day? We got that number. We said that's a useful number. Now, how many of them were eligible to register to vote? Not just eligible to vote, not just register to vote. This is, And not just voting age. Voting age doesn't. Exclude some people that are voting age but not eligible to register to vote. So we looked at how many people, and we derived a pretty exact number. I would say it's within 250,000 people, one way or the other, of how many people live in the United States of America that are eligible to register to vote. And this mm-hmm. becomes important later because that number you can use to reverse engineer how many people had to have been registered and voted in order for there to be X number of votes in any given jurisdiction, whether it's a state, a county, or the nation. So we pulled in all data, which nobody else was doing. Everybody else is chasing Ruby Freeman.
0: <laughs> no, I, haven't heard, I have never heard of anybody going to this level to extrapolate from all these different data sources and paint such a compelling detailed picture. I, That's why I, I almost worked. <laughs> yeah, so let's yeah, so let's keep going. um What did you find?
1: We found that there were between depending on okay, so the independent variable in all this is, and most of our analysis had nothing to do with fraud. We didn't really pay a lot of attention to fraud. We found some really obvious examples of it. We found crack houses with 15 dead people registered to vote in it (laughs) in in Wayne County. And there's a Tesla P100D in the driveway. And obviously like a vote mill organized organized with organized crime. You know, they got a crack house and they're like, oh yeah, we'll fucking jack up some fucking dead voters, you know, just up with some money. Like uh, that's the same way it's been since like uh, Joseph Kennedy got involved, <laughs> or Tammany Hall. So yeah. obviously that happened, but let's zero that out and ignore it for a second. We focused on just the raw data and what it meant, and and so we derived a number of people in the United States of America on November third that were eligible to register to vote, and we didn't even we didn't even modify it by eligible to register to vote in time for the election or did register to vote in time. We just said how many people were there that were eligible to register to vote by Election Day or on Election Day even though that's kind of a generous number. But if it doesn't work at the generous number it surely won't work at the less generous number. So there was about 224 million people in the United States of America, that were eligible to register to vote for the 2020 election, give or take a small number, 224 million people. How many people voted?
0: Well, we had um, we had 160. 100 was it? Was it Trump got 75, 74, 75? Like Biden got 81 yeah that sounds well yeah that sounds 159
1: about right. 160 uh, so all right so if 160 million people voted and 224 million people are eligible to register to vote how many people are registered to vote that voted
0: well so you've got you know 60 what is it, you have 64 million people that you know 64 65 million people that you know didn't vote could have Right, so it's like mean,
1: so. so it, call it sixty-two point five out of two hundred and twenty-five. That makes the math a little easier. You're talking about like thirty percent of the eligible to register adult population did not vote.
0: Which is it's exceptionally high turnout. It's exceptionally I mean, I think, high. We, turnout. We've never seen anything. I mean, I think you know. You look at. Um, I think you're usually looking at low to mid fifties is what yes. we've historically looked at in this country. So you're talking about
2: a really what,
1: high a really high turnout yeah. presidential election you're looking at like mid 50%. Mid Money 50%. that
0: seems just impossible. Like I mean because every election is the most important one of our la- lifetimes, right? So why was 2020 such an outlier compared to every other election?
1: Well, I think not- I think I think that's a good point and there it's worth investigating over time, but we don't have to talk about that yet because we can prove that it's bogus. Before we even get there. So, and how? Well, there's a unique thing about elections nationally in the United States of America. They're held by state jurisdiction. The federal government does not tabulate votes. The states do. And you know what the states have? They have voter rolls, and they have a record of who voted along with a record of their population and who's registered and all of that. And so the best and most simple way to decide if this is a realistic number or within the bounds of like just margin of error or if there's something wrong is to look at that. Look at that number of 160 million votes, 224 million people eligible to register to vote and then take that put that in a couple of columns in a spreadsheet basic accounting this ain't calculus just math right and put that on one side and then go state by state not just the states the people are arguing about all 50 states plus everybody that's not in a state that's voting. add that all up individually how many people were registered to vote? How many people did vote according to the state? How many people's votes were tabulated? Add all that up. That number should match within you know a few thousand or ten thousand with a reasonable margin of error, just because of you know disorganization and chaos. They should be pretty close numbers, right? Mm-hmm. They they might not be exact. Somebody might not have filled out all the right forms. Some information might have gotten lost. You might have a one percent deviation or something just from you know, chaos, but it should be at least close, right? Here's the thing. It wasn't close at all. If you take all of the official federal data and all of the state official data, no opinion, no conjecture, no third-party data, only data from states and the federal government. Mm Mm-hmm. it indisputably shows that there were between 11.5 million and 17.5 million tabulated votes that were not cast by an individual living in the United States of America, eligible to register to vote and voted or an individual outside of the United States eligible to register to vote and voted. 11.5 million to 17.5 million
0: that's that's unbelievable so what how did this happen because the machines are broken now is uh, okay people so don't what, like uh,
1: that people don't like that answer because they want like the story with people in it where ruby is sure doing do a thing well, or i mean fraud or whatever it's right. because the machines are terribly or engineered
0: the okay, software so is what, garbage what did you what so what happened to the machine so this is is this is this you know the company that starts with the d is this dominion or is this a number of companies
1: i think it's most of them because they all come from the same original software they okay. have different labels and they have different features and they have different Wait, so, sets, is, is,
0: is, so dominion are they making the machines and then licensing some kind of software to, okay
1: and, so so we got to go back in history a little bit all yeah. of this electronic voting was put in place with a lot of money by states and 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 the u.s government to to pre- to try to prevent what happened in 2000 they didn't want hanging chads and a bunch of you know, random people in one county in Florida, like being the, you know, fail safe for a national election. So they were like, let's make it, let's use machines. They're great. Well, they're not great. I made video games for 15 years. Machines are terrible.
2: <laughs> and so
1: they, but, they, but you know, they, they were hopeful. And so they were like, let's get it. Let's, 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 uh, you know, let's make this big data. Let's get machines involved. Right. And So they engineered software and the software works fine. If it's not a close election, no problem. Any, any failure rate in the software, no big deal. It's not a close election. You'll get the right outcome, but if it's a very close election, the margin of failure, the rate of failure of the machines exceeds the margin of error in the voting the margin of victory in the voting by an order of magnitude
0: so the machines so whenever we're talking you know razor's edge margins the machines start Are having. Not, all, they're not they're, they lose their, their accuracy
1: they're not accurate enough to, to yeah. maintain what's called six sigma reliability in industrial software production
2: right. critical
1: infrastructure like you're flying on an airplane. You want the avionics software to be six sigma. You want it to never fail, except one out of ten thousand times, one out of a hundred thousand times, one out of a million times, whatever your whatever your standard is. And so, the election hardware and software infrastructure is not even remotely close to that. It has a, I would say, minimum of four percent failure rate maximum of seven percent failure rate depending on the inputs so and this which is, is where, pretty
0: which is pretty massive you know it's, you think it's about huge 4%, it, it, yeah. it's
1: incomprehensibly large that's larger than the margin of victory in almost every swing race of the past 20 years right from the federal government on down. so national election state election whatever So the margin of error, the margin of failure in the machines is so large that it renders the actual real outcome. It's like uh, we're getting into like almost a quantum physics kind of analysis here. The level of failure is so large that you actually don't know who won any close race for the past
0: 20 years. You don't know. Well, you know, yeah, that, that's interesting, too, because, you know, there, a- after this last election and, you know, polls have been wrong for a while now. But I remember yeah. back in 2012, whenever Romney got his clock cleaned by Obama, you know, it was like 65 million votes to 60 million votes. And the Republican pundits, you know, the people on Fox News were horrified, dumbfounded and how Obama could have, you know, perceivably done so poorly and not even really tried, in my view, in terms of like campaigning to get reelected. I think he just mailed it in and did the bare minimum, um, <laughs> because because it was easy for him and it was available and he needed to get another four years. But I, I just remember how shocked people were that Romney lost. And I my feeling was, well, I thought the guy was you know he was a wooden man. He was he was he was
2: yeah I just he thought was he was stiff, a bad right? candidate.
0: I, I thought he was stiff and you know and he was a kind of a uh, little little nicer you know version and you know of, of, of John McCain, but right. um, he still really had no chance. But now you know you think about what's happened and really you know you know that the cover's been pulled back and we wonder what what elections were legitimate like you know none what of this them. kind of thing can happen honestly yeah.
1: none of none of them uh but not not for conspiratorial or nefarious reasons there's no smart person pushing buttons this is just chaos and entropy right. and bad engineering that's causing uh, this the, which so isn't you, a sexy story that's why like people aren't right. like holding 10,000 person person rallies talking about this because it's not, you know, red meat for the, for the populace, but it's reality. And, and so what I would say is, is that I think that most people working at a federal political level as a Politico consultant manager and the, and almost every single elected official does not have the technical capacity, understanding, or knowledge across multi-disciplines to understand what's going on, because if they did, they would fix this. Now, money might have an inkling of what's going on, and I'm inclined to believe that they do, and and I'm inclined to believe that they'll push for it to be fixed. And this might not be. Satisfying to idealists, but I'm not an idealist. So (laughs) I think that if you asked the people that spend billions of dollars as a group, aggregate, on, and I was a max donor to the Trump campaign in 2020. So I'm not Soros. I'm not kicking around a billion dollars, but, you know, I've contributed a large amount of money to some campaigns. Uh, I think that if you, Really made people that push a lot of money, big pharma lobbyist pacts, big oil pharma, whatever packs, all the big money in politics. If they understood that their money means nothing.
0: Oh, my God.
1: They will definitely make this fixed.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> they do not like the one thing in the world that they don't want to do is just light a billion dollars on fire. Because that's what they did in 2020. They literally just burned several billion dollars because their money had no impact on the outcome.
2: And
0: this this is- Yeah, just for a second here. I think about how, you know, we need to get this right. And you're someone that's been laser focused on it. You know, you spent several months on it, you know, as a full-time endeavor, as really a labor of love. And as just a concerned, engaged citizen, you, I, I just remember, you know, you texting me and I'm like, oh my God, there's nobody that's more attuned as to what's happening than him. But I think we think about where we are now and our priorities are completely different in what's going on right now. And so, you know, it's it's almost been memory hold and people like you and I and a lot of our viewers and friends and family, we still have that bad taste in our mouths. But at the same time, you know, the world has kind of moved on in a way and what's to, what are we to think that this isn't going to happen again?
1: Well, I can tell you one thing. Uh, it might happen again, but when it does, our guys will have already projected every single race with 100% accuracy a month before the election happens, and that might cause people to take a second look.
0: So I want to I want to go back to because we know um, how the machi- we know yeah. how the
1: machines work. I could build you a give me like just go to go to a Radio Shack and grab me a fucking Hewlett Packard printer and a couple of other bullshit pieces of hardware, and I could <laughs> grab a guy who's better at soldering than me, and and we could build you a Dominion voting machines. Uh, you know scanner or tabulator or whatever in a day we could build a thousand of them in a week we could build 10,000 of them in a month we yeah. could we don't even have to do that i think making it physical would make people understand more cuz it's tactile and they would get it more but we could just take all of the rules and and algorithms and methods that are outlined in the Dominion user manuals, the Smartmatic ES&S manuals. We could just take all of that information and all of the data on the country on November 3rd and put it all in a simulation in the cloud Mm -hmm. and run the election a million times and see what happens. I know what would happen. I don't think most people do, but you know what would happen? Donald what Trump happens? would win 50% of the time, Joe Biden would win 50% of the time over a
0: million runs. And that's not and that's not what some let me let me so let's you know and it makes sense to me in terms of having such an unbelievable amount of people, you know, such an incredible turnout that we hadn't seen before. But what about all of the chicanery that was going on? Like in well, Wayne that- County with 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 locking Observers out of you know the county, main county counting center. What about in these ballot dumps in Milwaukee County in the middle of the night with like 130,000 ballots showing up? Well, what I about
2: think
0: that, I mean, I what think about that, all the? Yeah, go ahead.
1: I think that has to be stopped, and I think that many jurisdictions have stopped it. Texas has stopped it. Florida stopped it. You know, like that's that's garbage, and it shouldn't happen. Uh I will say that Republicans aren't clean there either. Republicans no. don't don't go to nursing homes and harvest ballots. That's not our bag. Democrats do that, but Republicans do things like pile a million savvy data guys and lawyers onto the redistricting process and do something similar. <laughs> That's within right. the confines of the law, just like you know the ballots in Wisconsin. Within the confines of the law, you know everybody's going to push their edge wherever they got it. And Republicans, their edge is in redistricting and other systematic maneuverings for elections. And Democrats' edge is more on the ground and in mm-hmm. you know nursing homes and stuff. I don't and think either one is,
2: yeah. yeah,
1: I don't. I don't think either one is good or healthy. It's just kind of mutually assured destruction, and and each side's going to do the thing they're best at, and you know. So, did fraud happen? Anybody who says fraud didn't happen is drank the Kool-Aid. I don't think you can ever get them back. Uh, fraud's been happening since elections exist. The first time there was a ballot box, maybe there was no fraud. Like, wh- when was the first ballot box? I don't know. Uh, 2,000 years ago or 3,000 yeah, years
0: ago? Yeah, I mean, probably even before, but way back. I mean, who knows? Hammur-
1: Hammurabi?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's been going when's on a the long first, time.
1: When is the first time somebody used a ballot box? But yeah. maybe nobody stuffed the ballot box the first time they used one. But the second time, you better be damn sure they stuffed that ballot box. And every ballot box since, somebody's been trying to stuff it.
0: Every oh, the, single one. Democracy is beautiful, isn't it?
1: <laughs> well, it's messy, but it's better yeah. than the alternative, which is woke, nihilistic, yeah. cultural Maoism.
0: So, yeah, which we're we're gonna get into here in a little bit. So, you know, kind of, we're gonna um, kind of summing up the, the, the twenty twenty election. Um, machines malfunction on a massive scale. They crash. They just malfunction.
1: They crash, and they, that's where they you get
0: overcounted. The- yeah. All
1: those like crazy jumps in people's numbers and stuff like that you see in some states like those are not like someone dumping like a million ballots into a machine and then all of a sudden candidate right. a or Let, candidate let's talk B about that has, has what, happens,
0: what happens to the legitimacy of the United States if if we all this energy was spent in, for this election and that you're having malfunctions on that scale and it becomes public knowledge and it, go, it travels all over the world. What does that do to the standing of the United States? Are there people that understood this within, you know, the Republican Democratic Party that understood what happened? And they're just like, okay, we got to run with it. I mean, is it just kind of, we, we got we to gotta get through it because if this comes out, it just looks terrible for the country. It's destabilizing in and of itself.
1: I think that was a motivation for people maybe in DIA or NSA that, like, this is so fucked up. We didn't know, is this fucked up? Like, just put a fucking needle in it and let's just get it right next time I think there's a lot of people in that camp Um, I think there's a lot of people in the more principled areas even if they change their message depending on who if their party's in control in congress they're going to switch their position because they're politicians and that's what politicians do but Mm -hmm. you know you got like maybe like 40 or 50 or 70 house members on both sides of the aisle. If they're on the losing side, they're going to holler about this, but most won't because it's too complicated. They don't understand it. You got to remember that. I mean, most of the people in Congress didn't use email until this century. If they do. And some of them don't even use email. You're right. Right. I used email in 1995. I was on the internet in 1989. I used a personal computer in 1984 and I'm only 43 years old. So I think that, you have a large group of people who just simply don't understand the parameters of it. It's like, if you grabbed like a regiment from, you know, the Napoleonic army and said, here's some tanks. And some bombers, have had it, guys, and some machine guns, <laughs> and go to town. And they'd be like, "What the hell are we supposed to do?" Right, we just we just line up and shoot each other. What is all of this technology?
0: Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So you are saying is these people just aren't really, they're not calibrated to really they're understand. Not calibrated
1: to understand, and they never will be. You are never gonna. You can't teach an old dog new tricks.
0: Right. They're
1: Particularly never gonna, a
0: boomer, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay, boomer.
0: We've gotten their way for a long time. They're
1: never going to understand what I'm talking about. This is never going to happen. So even if it's better for them, if they did, they're never going to understand what I've been talking about since Thanksgiving of 2020. When we collected all the data and all the stuff, it was about Thanksgiving 2020 when we were like, all right. There was fraud. There were some shenanigans. The Republicans played some games. The Democrats played some games. But... The real problem has nothing to do with all of this noise that everyone, everyone is generating. The real problem is, is that the machines are fundamentally flawed and the software is fundamentally flawed and garbage in, garbage out. You're not going to get an actual accurate result, no matter what anybody does.
0: Can no we get an accurate money. result, Monty? I mean, yeah. moving forward, uh, I mean, look, looking at, at what, you know, we have a, a midterm election coming up. We have want to be the most you know hotly contested, vicious presidential campaign of all time is coming up. Are we in any better spot now than we were a couple you know a year ago? Yeah, nobody's killed me. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad you're. Wait, <laughs> well, and and that leads to this. Another question too is, you know, you've, you know, you've been shouting from the rooftops about this, but you obviously got other things you're going on too. We got to eat. You know, you got to pay the bills. And you know, you've transitioned on to other do things. I? Well, I don't know. I don't know. You're that good of a day trader, you know? You just trades one hour a day and you make that kind of money like money. then that's true. But, <laughs> but, um, it, it, has, is there you know what?
1: The, be- the best trading ever, in the, in, and I, I miss Donald Trump for a lot of reasons, and I thought he was an idiot for a lot of reasons, but, uh, uh the best thing about Donald Trump was it when he would do it, uh, a national press avail. You could you could literally get on your E Trade or iBrokers or whatever whatever uh, desktop trading app you use and trade against the initial reaction to his words <laughs> and you would never lose money. It was like, it was like having like X-ray vision at a blackjack table.
0: I haven't heard that strategy before. You know, that's, that's not, that doesn't because show up on the chart. Because he was talking
1: and then people would start reacting to it. <laughs> but inevitably, like every time people would counter react to the reaction. And you, if you just, if you just bet the counter reaction you would make money 99 times out of a hundred. It was amazing. I've well, now we have anything. Biden
0: and it's just all bad news. And the market
1: doesn't work anymore. They, they've work. gone
0: schizno Yeah. Cause you don't know what the hell we know anything about the guy. He's going to so call somebody a
1: son of a bitch and then like touch a kid. Like who knows? Which,
0: yeah. Well, I mean him calling the guy a son of a bitch, I actually thought was kind of amusing. And it's funny if Trump does that, he's, Oh my
2: God, no
0: wailing and gnashing of teeth. And One, Biden does gonna, and it's like oh, he, get, the old man still got it.
1: I'm going to get anti Biden a little bit here or anti dementia presidents. Uh, I don't think that the notable thing is that he was angry or that he called him a son of a bitch or blah, blah, blah. I think the notable thing is if you really listen to the words, and I'm a student of words and diction and subtext and vocalization, I've spent a lot of I've I've written millions of words, speeches for candidates and politicians, laws, law review articles, big, Hollywood documents that are designed to generate hundreds of million dollars of spend and billions of dollars of profit. Lots of lots of words. And I'm not going to say like Donald Trump would. They're the best words. They're the greatest words. They're such great words. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that it's just a lot of words. I've written a lot and talked a lot. And so I feel very comfortable saying, I have a great deal of facility with the English language and with the way people use it. And the thing that I find most notable about several of President Biden's enunciations and vocalizations over the past week is that my my informed and objective perspective, on it is that he is he is slipping into a state when he talks where he is vocalizing his inner monologue and doesn't know he's doing it yes and and that that is concerning i know he's an idiot i know he's a a slime bag i know he's a corrupt but everybody in politics is corrupt i'm like not really like you're not telling me anything i don't know
0: he's not uniquely bad compared he's to not uniquely
1: bad compared yeah. to politicians like he's just another one of them you know uh and you know that's politics you know it's a dirty business people say that for a reason so it's increasingly
0: but, concerning yeah. i mean you've you've seen uh, you know as bad as he was he's deteriorating even worse this
1: is deteriorate to me that thing the way he said it what, what was the line uh, Ducey asks uh, about inflation. Is, in, is, it, is, about, is inflation a political liability going into the midterms? Yeah, and and they're rushing everybody out, and Biden thinks it's over, and he forgets the mic is on, which is for somebody who's been in public life for that long, like to forget the mic's on in that situation. I could get understand it if he's miked and he goes into the bathroom and he takes a piss, and everybody hears him pissing. It's easy to forget your mic's on.
0: Do you think he really forgot, though? You think he just—I mean, because I, no, he—he he, did—he he forgot that. No, he
1: straight up did not intend for that to be caught by the mic, for sure.
0: And of course, he gets away with it.
1: Yeah, I don't think he is. I don't think he's getting away with it.
0: Well, he shouldn't. He's he not. He shouldn't. I, no, he's. You know,
1: he was at 33% approval a week ago. I mean, before all of the stuff in the past week. And it's not even been a week since his press conference, which was a mind-bending, like, I thought I had done acid. Like, insane. Like, I, I watched it, and I was like, I think I'm getting dumber watching this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I well, you know, kudos to you for actually having the. To i T-shirts stuck out the whole cool.
1: well you know i i took a break i took a shower i jerked off i smoked a cigarette <laughs> and i came back i was like surely it'll be over now it wasn't over it was no. another hour <laughs> <laughs> and so i think like when i hear him say what, what, what's the exact quote he goes uh he's
0: like no it's an asset no it's, it's an asset yeah.
1: comma more inflation comma
0: what a stupid son of a bitch you dumb son of a bitch yeah. now
1: what does that sound like does that sound like someone talking to people
0: no that, that's a great point i mean it, it, it is an internal like, dialogue
1: it sounds like someone vocalizing their internal monologue without without any filter or control
2: mm-hmm.
1: right sound like someone who's lost control of their ability to differentiate what they say out loud to people and what their internal monologue is. And that is a sign of dementia. I mean, ask a doctor. It is. Yeah. So yeah. the guy is definitely cognitively impaired. I don't think there's any. And the, the, the angry outbursts, like he yelled at some random reporter from like, I don't know, Newsday or Time or whatever garbage magazine it was. He yelled at some dude for an innocuous question in the press conference.
0: Yeah, he's and, doing it regularly. He, he's snapping at people, mm-hmm. um, and and it's it's become commonplace. And sometimes I find it amusing because I do think the press is you know, um, useless I, garbage. I, but
1: I, I, I agree. They're, and they're I wish that of, Trump
0: would have been. you know, Trump. That's the, he was always trying. The White to House correspondents
1: it. are jock sniffing ankle biters.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they are.
1: So I don't have any pity for him. But right. I do think that what he's doing has nothing to do with them. It's this thing that he's got going on that he doesn't have control over. And when I see someone who doesn't have control over something like that, when like, he, it's not like he has to be on 24 seven. It's not like he's constantly mic'd up and on camera. He's got to just nail it like for an hour, once a week. Like, surely you could like sleep a lot and like take whatever crazy pills he's taken and 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 get it right for like 30 minutes or 45 minutes but he can't even do that and 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 it's it looks compulsive and neurotic and angry and unhinged and that's getting to the area where I'm saying that's dangerous
0: yeah well, I want to take a quick break. And when we yeah. come back, I want to talk a little bit about who's really in control
2: uh, of this can administration
0: and talk about what we need to be looking for in the midterms, in the 2020. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about- Don't be national. fooled by
1: Dwight Youngkin. That's what you
0: need to be looking for. I totally agree. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about the state of Texas politics and a little bit about national divorce. And we're going to have to talk about Hollywood and some of the other fun things at another time because I know we could just go on and on. We'll we'll, talk
1: endlessly.
0: Yeah, well, let's take a little five-minute break, and we'll be right back. Listen, all right, so we're back and, you know, we're wrapping up the 2020 election and, you know, doing a download there. So, you know, who are the good guys and the bad guys coming out of the 2020 election?
1: Everyone's a bad guy. Trump? Everyone is a bad
0: guy. Yeah. Well, that's a good rule of life, right? I mean, assume everybody is full of shit until they prove otherwise is what I believe. Yeah yeah
1: unless someone is like a beat, beatified saint legitimately for saving children and animals like they're not they might sometimes do the things that you want them to do, but no politician is inherently a good person you can't be a good person and be a politician it's it's inc- yeah i mean comprehensively it, it,
0: i mean it certainly selects for a certain kind of person somebody that is, you know, pursuing power that's got sociopathic, even, you know, psychopathic tendencies, it, it's going to select for that type Which of person. Which I
1: relate to, I get that.
0: Right, I mean, we, we got we to do what we gotta do,
1: got to do. But Yeah.
0: Um, yeah.
1: This ain't, this ain't a participation trophy time. This is, politics is an extension of war, colossal It
0: is, it is. And people need to understand that. I think that's been one of the problems on the right, is that, you know, people think that we're fighting an ideological. They just want
1: to sit around in bathroom stalls and give each other hand jobs. I mean, that's the GOP <laughs> in Congress in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, they they um, they want the game to keep going. I mean, anything, I lived it's... in
1: I lived in West Hollywood. I've lived in Oaklawn and Dallas. I've been in San Francisco a bunch. The gayest group of people on the planet is Republican staffers in Congress.
0: Okay, so why is that?
1: Because they like it in the ass? <laughs> I
0: don't know. In a literal he sense. Each to their own. <laughs> <laughs> Nixon, no. they, uh, he, are you talking about his reference
1: to uh, Bohemian Grove? That's the faggiest thing I've heard. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, it,
1: it is. It is. It is. It, it is. I'm not judging Rick Grinnell's awesome. I like Rick Grinnell a lot. But there's, you know, like sometimes a little bit of fagginess
0: in the court? Yeah, well, it does seem like there's been a lot of people of that persuasion that have come over to the right in the Trump era.
1: And I welcome and- them because you know what? You you go fuck a dude in the ass, grow your marijuana, buy an AR-15 and vote Republican, you're on my side.
0: Wow. Okay. All right, well, that's that's uh that's pretty clear cut. I mean, well, why do you think that is? Why do you, why are why are these you know there's really a new constituency of people like the whole deck is being reshuffled
1: like Brett Easton Ellis is like a Republican all of a sudden
0: yeah well I mean you've got Scott Pressler
2: yeah that's that's
0: out you know encouraging he wants to get everybody registered to vote in every state I mean he found me on Twitter the other day and he's like are you registered to vote I said just moved here you know I'm working on it he's like let me know if I can help
2: I'm gonna say something
0: that no one
1: has ever said that I think is probably like Like, if it wasn't me, like, you would get canceled in a minute. Uh, the butch gays. Yes. Are, like, looking at the Democrat Party, and they're like, what a bunch of absolute flim flams. (laughs) (laughs) These are the dudes we fuck. Yeah. (laughs)
2: But we're Republicans. Oh, my God. we do the, we do the fucking.
1: <laughs> I think that's kind
2: of... Oh, like there, shit. There, there's
1: this extraordinary, like, maybe unprecedented divergence between the parties where, like, submissiveness and weakness and femininity and victimization is all Democrat. And masculinity and power and uh, forthrightness and no bullshit and no like passive aggressive, no like, you know, mealy mouth nonsense, no emotions, just facts, not feelings is all on the right. And I so like, I'm not denigrating the beauty of the feminine side of human nature my wife is very feminine but she enjoys the fact that i'm very masculine (laughs) and i think there's this kind of like weird thing where that has become like part of the two-party thing yeah i don't think it's sustainable i think it's kind of dumb but i mean i'm gonna say something that like probably like everybody's gonna be like oh my god i can't believe you said it but when they go to bed at night they'll be like oh my god it's so right uh
0: that's what we're here for, brother. That's what we Why?
1: Need. Why are all the attractive women Republicans? Mm-hmm. All of them. Yes. Every single one. Not even like, oh, there's a preponderance. Oh, there's a majority. No. Like, if you are attractive and you're a woman, you're a Republican. Yeah. Ninety-nine point nine 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 times out of a hundred, uh, of ten thousand, what is that? I don't know. Uh,
0: it, it, it's, it's there, some... There's
1: also there's also some physiological or physical manifestations of this. Uh, Republican men kind of fall into two groups. They all fit into the same attitude, but there's two kinds. One is like, you know, just gorgeously handsome guys like me based. And the other is like totally unattractive dudes that are pretty alpha and, and the hot girls like it. Yeah. And so, (laughs) Hey, but in the Democrat party, you got some dudes that are handsome but they're pussies.
0: Yeah, yeah. I and mean, then they you could, got they... some,
1: and, and they're like strongest people that are most like, like me. Like I have more in common with Adam Schiff than fucking John Tester. <laughs> in
0: Adam, terms Schiff, of...
1: Adam Schiff is a fucking douche. Yeah, but Adam Schiff is like. Russia, Russia, Russia. I'm going to put my dick on the committee table. Russia, Russia, Russia. And like he just won't stop fucking talking about it. I mean, that's kind of alpha.
0: Well, I mean, that's... that's, that's I mean, they're I know com- he's gay. I, I,
1: I know he's gay. And there's nothing wrong with that. It it If there was something wrong with that and it was not uh, genetically predisposed, it would have disappeared. So there is a fundamental, scientific, biological reality that there are just dudes that like it in the ass and dudes that like fucking dudes in the ass and that's never going to change otherwise it already would have
2: all right so
0: so so let's talk about that so one of one of our favorite i I didn't
1: know that was what we are going to talk about no we're just going to roll
0: with that for a second so you look at somebody like milo milo yiannopoulos who we're going to have on the show we're going after milo here in the next couple of weeks we want to have him come in studio but he's somebody that was this
1: I'll talk Plain. to Milo. I mean, when everybody canceled him, I was like uh, pretty, you know, comfortably ensconced in Hollywood. And I said, look, if you want if you want someone in Hollywood to say something for you, I don't give a shit. I think you're doing a good thing.
0: Yeah. he, he and, and he was, uh, you know, his star rose so quickly and he was one of the smartest guys out there. He is loqu- loquacious as anybody and really had these alpha qualities he was just unabashed um, yeah. you know hardcore for trump and really for you know restoring american greatness and he that's had not such... put too
1: fine a point the dude fucks
0: exactly and that's the whole thing with gay, gay men is that they <laughs> that's the thing about the spectrum of gay men you've got some that are absolute rabbits and then you've got on the other side they're almost asexual he was on this side he was just but,
2: like Aah. he was
0: yeah he was hardcore but he you know his his star fell and you know now he has come out and said that you know he's i don't think his star fell i
1: think he got like censored like yeah dude, well that's it, what i mean i mean he co-
0: well, it was one of those things to where he there has to be a, an appropriate level of self-censorship or you're going to be booted from these major platforms and unless you can create your own platform he needed better lawyers well it, we, we and we've talked about this milo is a performance artist Yes, so, somebody like Alex Jones is a businessman and right. an entertainer. Milo well, is more showman. like a comedian in the seventies yeah. or something. You
1: know? so he like needed a, so
0: he needed somebody he, looking out for him. He needed, he needed somebody
1: looking out for him. And he didn't have yeah. somebody looking out for
0: him. No, he didn't, and and so now it, he's kind of marooned and trying to work his way back. But he uh, he made a really interesting observation the other day. I can
1: fix it in six weeks it'll cost right, well, some money
0: but... well then let's when we, well, let's make it happen let's 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 uh let's do a you deal. you just
1: need somebody willing to metaphorically shank people
0: <laughs> no I'm, well hey yeah. audience i'm not a nice guy but i'm an honest guy we don't need any more fucking nice guys no we've got enough of those out there you know we need we need um you know and I'm, more,
1: I'm I'm probably more liberal than you and most of your audience
0: Okay, well, let's. I want to talk about that. You supported Bernie Sanders in the twenty sixteen, fifteen, sixteen Enthusiastically.
1: primary. Enthusiastically.
0: Yes. So, what was your thought process behind that? I mean, you were you were living in L.A. at the time, right? Yeah. And so you were, you know, a Bernie guy, and then you migrated over to Trump. But what was your process with Bernie, and then going over to Trump? Sure.
1: So uh, I worked in politics exclusively for the Republican Party for a half decade. When I was very
0: young, uh, but at a happened real quick. Huh? How did that? How did you get in? How did you get pulled into that?
1: Uh, I did not get pulled into that. I read The Prince by Machiavelli and a lot of other good books because I actually got an education in high school, and I applied <laughs> what I learned and what I experienced in a you know pretty you know intense prep school environment, and uh, and went about. I said I want to. I want to work in politics, and so I did the things that were necessary to do it. It started with uh, going and working at the Daily Texan, which is, you know, the University of Texas newspaper, and a student newspaper sounds like kind of a lame thing, but University of Texas has the Daily Texans. It's like Northwestern or a couple other schools. We had 100,000 circulation. We'd interview presidents and, and stuff. We covered the war in Bosnia-Herzegovania. Wow. Uh, you know, we had war correspondence for a college newspaper. Like, we we took it pretty fucking seriously. And a lot of those people are people you know now in, in journalism. And so it was a different kind of environment for college journalism. I mean, like, the stuff we did was beyond any journalism or any purported journalism that anybody pretends to engage in these days. And... It was more like actual journalism from like 30 or 40 or 70 years ago. And so, but I, I was cynical. I'm a cynical guy. I don't mind saying that. And, or a pragmatic and methodical guy, if you wanna be nice. And, right. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I wanna go work in politics, but the best way to do it is work at the Daily Text and cover everybody. And so I always get, I'm, I'll be totally honest. And this is like kind of the fake news thing a little bit, but now it's on steroids, but less smart and more dumb and more like emotional and retarded. And I will say retarded until the day I died. Damn
2: right.
0: Thank you honey. You're welcome. Um, Wifey approved statement. She did. And, <laughs> uh,
2: and so am I.
1: Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go uh, work at the Daily Text and cover state and local and national politics. I'm going to become the senior editor and have control of the stories and stuff. And I'm going to be nice to George W. Bush
0: because he's about to be president.
1: Maybe so this is back. This,
0: this is this is late. This is late '90s. '99,
1: 2000. Okay. And so I would write straight news stories with a slight lean to, ju- to W. In the Daily Texan, and lots of people in the Bush circle read that paper, and so everybody was like, "Oh, Monty's friendly to this campaign." Maybe, maybe we should talk to him more. And then I was like, "I want to get into Walden politics. I'll come work for a campaign and prove myself." I right. and I said, "Look, you got you won 5149 the last election, Susanna." We're going to make it 66-33. We're going to beat the Democrats so hard that they never run anybody against you again. That was a pretty tall statement for a 21-year-old dude who'd never done anything, and then we did it.
2: You're not lacking in
1: moxie. Yeah, a lot of moxie,
2: according to my wife.
1: <laughs> and and so we crushed her opponent so hard that they literally never, like I said, like I said, would be the outcome. They literally never ran someone against her again. They gave up on the district. They said, We can't win it. It's a waste of money and time. And so then that, plus me being friendly to Republicans as a college reporter and opinion writer, put me in like a very small group of people in Texas because most of the, you know, reporters and opinion writers were liberal. Right. And I was writing like, you know, any affirmative action, you know, pro-life, pro-gun op-eds and covering Bush favorably and stuff. So time, manner, place, like uh, I was just lucky to be the only guy doing that in Austin at that time. And so that plus managing a campaign that just crushed the opposition, those two things got me like fast-tracked in texas politics in austin in the late 90s and early 2000s and so i don't know i mean it was cynical to some degree i'm not gonna lie about what i did
2: or it was, an opportunity. It was like yeah. i was
1: i was an opportunist i was like this looks like a good opportunity right right i think everybody wants to be like no bless you, and i'm like
0: <laughs> so so you so you did you were involved in the redistricting and this is in the early 2000s the maps are being redrawn and you were heavily involved in this process yeah this is like what what you're
1: not because I'm a genius which I am but not because I'm a genius
0: (laughs) big note of that no (laughs) not
1: not because I'm a genius and not because anybody thought I was particularly important it was really simple I was the only guy in a suit who knew how to use a computer
0: yeah So what did so, you do after, go go ahead and finish.
1: So I drew the districts and I said, look, within 20 years, Hispanics in the Rio Grande Valley are going to be voting Republicans. We're going to draw a bunch of districts.
0: That's happening so Republican now.
1: Republican Hispanics could win. That's 2001.
2: This it's is, happening this now, is, 20 years later.
0: Yeah, I mean, my, my dad in San Antonio, I mean, he's a strong believer that, you know, based, increasingly based Hispanic Latino men, are going to save the republican party in texas
1: i believe that in 2001 and i got ted cruz to defend a map i drew in the supreme court to anticipate precisely that
0: so you've known ted cruz for 20 years what was he doing at that time
1: he was a solicitor general of texas
0: really i didn't even know that okay what did you think about what were your impressions of ted cruz back then and now not important enough to pay attention to. Yeah. What do you think so, now? Sorry, so, Ted. Yeah, it's all right. No, he he deserves all the shit that he gets. I mean, I generally think he's he's uh, a, a pretty you know he's he's doing some good things, but uh, I think no. his
1: heart is in the right place. Yeah. I think that he was always a dork, a student government dork.
0: With a chip and on his shoulder, with a yeah. chip
1: on his shoulder about being a student government dork and not being cool, and so he's got this thing where he like wants to be liked, but doesn't know how to get liked. Like, uh, but like I don't think like all of that. He'll never like him, money. No They're one's ever gonna, gonna like him. Well, someone needs someone on his staff needs to sometimes be like, listen, Ted. No one's ever gonna like you, so just be you.
0: Right. Yeah. It's be really a snooty something. intellectual because. You know, you look at the, the debates back in twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. The guy, the guy is so well versed on so many different subjects, but the problem is he's got a shtick of being the Bible beater, evangelical preacher type. That's all which, fake. Well, I know, but some people like that stuff. And I, I remember with my, you know, in the, the twenty sixteen primary, I had hot debates with my parents because they like Cruz because he's, you know, Texas guy. And I said, listen, Ted Cruz is never going to win one state in the Rust Belt. He won't win one because he doesn't know how to communicate to those people. He doesn't have their ear, but Trump does. Trump can win those states. And that was proven out. And, of course, now we look, you know, a few years, several years later, they're bigger Trump fans than I am. And I'm kind of in a place to where it's like, let's have an open field. I mean, if there's somebody else that would be a good candidate to run in 2024, whether it's DeSantis, which I like a lot, but I kind of like him being in florida because he's done such a stellar job and really pushing back whenever covid took off and not letting these things man it's one of the reasons why i moved here because this guy's got his shit together but um you know let's talk a little bit about what the future looks like in 2022 with the midterms we're looking at a red wave but you know is trump going to run again in 2024 and should or, or should he run in 2024 what do you think about that Unless
1: something extraordinary intercedes, Trump is running in 2024. I think you're right. I mean, think about the guy. Think about his personality. Think about his life actions. Think about what he does. Think about what's important to him. There's no way he's just going to let it lie. No, he's not. He'd rather lose hard if there's a chance he can win big.
0: Guy owned casino. He said it. I remember he said his favorite Bible verse was an eye for an eye. When he was running back in 2015, 16 he said was that? and so that's who the man is.
1: He's coming back and he's he, running. He's
0: 75 years old, he'll be yeah, I mean he'll be 77 or you know whenever he's you know he he declares most likely. He's going to go after it again. Is he the best choice from your vantage point?
1: Best choice in terms of getting elected? Yes. Yes. Easily.
0: That's a great question, because I I ran a poll on Twitter the other day and who would do a better job in terms of, you know, running the country and getting rid of the swamp? Is it Trump or DeSantis? And this is a small poll, but 70 percent of people said DeSantis over Trump. The problem is
1: he would probably do a better job, but that doesn't have anything to do about winning a national election.
0: And that's what people need to understand. You've got to get elected. And Trump is accused DeSantis of being dull and not having a great personality. And, of course, I'm thinking, well, can we have some competence for a change? But, look, the American people want to be entertained. And Donald Trump is a highly entertaining person. With Biden, everything's going to shit, and we don't even get any good sound bites.
1: No. I would like some tweets.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we... (laughs) Well, we have Truth Social coming up, which I'm not really, you know, I don't, I'm not so inclined to want to jump on Truth Social or Getter or any of these other platforms. But they're all
1: going to be failures and dorky because they're not engaging actual fucking.
0: Yeah, it's echo chambers.
1: Echo chambers. It, it, it's
0: profiteering and it's echo chambers and it's. It's not like lame work right.
1: abortion movies. It's they're pro life. Like it's just boring and lame.
0: Right. Yeah. There's nothing to it. All right. So listen, what do you want to talk about next? I think you mentioned something about Glenn Youngkin as somebody that we need to oh, be yeah, looking yeah. at. Glenn, Glenn
1: Youngkin is a wolf in sheep's clothing.
0: All right, so tell me why. I agree with you, but I want to hear your your views on him.
1: He's a, he's a hedge fund baby.
0: Yeah, he's a McKenzie Glenn, guy. Then, then he went to where McKenzie Carlisle, guy, right?
1: Carlisle. I know a lot of guys at Carlisle Group. He is what the neocon moneyed Acela Corridor crowd, not the Texas Republican crowd, where most of the contributions to the Republican Party come from, but the Northeastern Republican crowd, the Rockefeller Republicans, the Romneys, the country club Republicans, they're like, "If if we can get a guy that can pass the populist test, but also is in our fraternity, then we can take back control of our party from Trump. Much fucking yeah. nerds. And
0: so they were so elated when he won. Matt Walsh was doing somersaults. Oh,
1: he was he straight... was like he was jerking off in his office when he won.
0: Yeah, he totally was. He so was a uh, picture he...
1: of, of Dwight Yunkin and and Richard Nixon. He was yeah. just, like, oh, 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 Warren
2: <laughs> <King."> <laughs> I
0: can't. And to me, it seems so obvious because the Republican politician like him, it, it's a typical guy. It's it's a guy that's, you know, he went to the Put a sweater
1: vest on, do some Trump stuff, yeah, and, but be yeah, like and, more palatable yeah. to women in the
0: suburbs. Woo! Right. Right. And he and he's he's not a great and order in the country. Everything is scripted and like this is the leader that we need. It's like, nah, no, nah, it is, nah, nah, nah. no, it's not. It's not Glenn Youngkin. So no. what's going to happen to him in Virginia? I mean, do you, does this guy want to run for president? The dude of course never, he does, right? He's never going to be
1: president. Of course he does, but he's never going to be president. He doesn't have it.
0: No, I don't think so either. Well, so we, we look at Trump. Okay, so let's assume that Trump is going to run in 2024, which I think is a stone cold lock. Yep. Um, whether he wins or loses, that's it. I mean, that's, yep. that's, the, that's the end of the run for him. So in 2024, we're looking at an entirely new slate of people. Um, who, are, who are you looking at right now that you're, and it could be anybody, it could be like Tucker Carlson, it could be who knows, it could be you, it could be me, it could be anybody. Who in 2028 are you looking at as this is a viable candidate, this is the direction that we need to be going in. And so this is the true post-Trump era. Big Ron? Uh,
1: I think that Ron DeSantis has a lot of things going for him and his willingness to buck the narrative speaks to his growth from being just a JAG attorney. And I have fucked JAG attorneys personally, <laughs> and like not like in business or law, like in the bedroom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but they don't look like wrong DeSantis. no they
1: were, like, they, they were women they they were not post-trans remember the old
0: tv show jag no, you well, I... some... no, oh you were with an earshot i love you baby right, anyway okay. my, my wife was like
2: "You fucked I I ah! did not do she it. didn't say that i'm
1: teasing she's totally cool
0: <laughs> Um, yeah he's a dirty dick i mean what can we do
1: (laughs) he's a dirty dirty dick navy jag attorney who managed to apparently have some balls and so like props to him ron uh you know if you can if you can show up and prove up i'm with you if it's all just a game for you then fuck you
0: you think he's going to run in twenty twenty four? I don't think. I don't think Trump, so. If he,
1: Trump's running, not a chance. He'll will yeah. just be Trump's vice
0: president. Yeah, and I, was, and I was and I was and I was reading guy. recently about how, you know, Trump, you know, DeSantis was not the front runner in the twenty eighteen, um, you know, you know, campaign here in Florida. I mean, it was there was another establishment Republican that was the anointed one, and Trump got behind DeSantis. DeSantis run by a razor's edge. Over Gillum, who, you know, we all know what an absolute disaster that motherfucker was. I mean, he's God, he's embarrassing. And he's completely out of the game now. He's supposed to be the next Obama and he's caught in, you know, South Beach in a um, hotel room with crack cocaine and alcohol and all kinds of bodily fluids on the sheets and compromising poses with a bald bodybuilder guy. I mean, it's just the most sordid story you can imagine. So okay, thank God. We DeSantis got through. And um, he's done a hell of a job. I mean, he he passed the COVID test, I think better than any governor in the country. And that's really teed him up, but I, he's only 43 years old. His wife is, is undergoing chemotherapy for breast cancer. We don't know whether that's stage one, two, three, we don't know anything, but she's in a real fight. And so I'd like to see the guy, you know, run for another term, continue to hold down the fort in Florida, let Trump go do, you know, Go do the dirty work and then have Big Ron teed up in twenty twenty eight. I mean, that's what I'd personally <laughs> like to see. That. All right, so uh, picking up where we left off, we were talking about communities, right? And how, you know, one of the things with the base brotherhood is we want, we need to take these digital relationships and connections into the real world. And we're focused on that. We built a great group here in Miami of 10 or 15 guys that are meeting regularly are we
1: going to insurrect that's the only thing i'm interested in
0: <laughs> all, right. all right so let's gonna so an erection? yeah are
2: we going to incite an erection yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's up to liz <laughs> <laughs> how's she doing man you want to let it her... <laughs> uh, the, the capital is fucked <laughs> <laughs> all right so um Monty, where do you want to go here? What do we want to talk about?
1: Do you want me to bag on people or do you want me to say positive things?
0: Um, I mean, negativity sells a lot better than positivity does.
1: Michael Flynn is an idiot, an Obama stooge. He was lying to you the entire time. He says what he thinks is good for him. There's a reason he got prosecuted. you got to do a lot of dumb shit to fuck up when you're fucking inside.
0: All right, so, so Flynn to me always seemed like a little bit of a midwit. Like I I, I I don't really get the thing with Flynn. What? Tell me about. Bingo tell us, midwit. Tell us t- tell us about Flynn. What's
1: the I'm, deal with? I met him at a Marjorie Taylor Greene thing with Louie Gomert and uh, I explained because everybody's been like jerking off over the no, it's perfect election. No, there's fraud, all that thing, and right. and I went up to like all of them in this like very small social environment and i said look there's another thing that nobody's talking about which is the machines and their engineering which isn't necessarily a nefarious thing it's just dumb people doing dumb stuff right fucking shit up and and it and it getting entangled with the fraud or the clean election or whatever like dumb shit and i was like listen think about this Think about these facts and think about this fact pattern. What do you think about that? And I told it to Margie the Green and mainly I think she just wanted me to fuck her.
2: Yep. <laughs> oh. Hi, Margie.
1: I love you. Keep banging those weird dudes in North Georgia.
0: And, uh, she likes those CrossFit guys, huh?
1: Yeah, she likes the dudes with like the crazy hair and the like fucking G-string. And... and but that's fine. I was more impressed. Hey, money, not- money,
0: money. We're we're fucked if these are our leaders, man. If these well, are
1: I, the. I was actually impressed with her at this gathering. Like I thought yeah. she was very cogent and coherent, and came across very, like, impressive for a politician. And
2: better than she does
1: on. TV. And way better than she does on TV or whatever. Like in person, she's not a dumb lady she knows right. some stuff and she has an opinion and i'm not unimpressed with uh with her attitude so like, i i think she get you know maybe the closest she's got as a comp is maybe the way that people that are douchey and went to fucking boston college or maybe they got into cornell or brown uh you know bagged on sarah palin like it seems kind of similar to that. Like they're so like, eh, about a conservative woman that is empowered, but comfortable with the male, female dynamic and stuff. And I feel like that's more like how she gets portrayed, but in person, she's like, I wouldn't say she's the smartest person in the Congress, but she was competent and well-spoken and charismatic. And that's, That's, you know, above the bar for most people that get elected to office. Right. Um, Michael Flynn struck me as the dumb guy on the football team that didn't know what was going on.
0: I agree with you, man. I agree with you.
1: Because I explained stuff to him and he just didn't get it. Right. Period. He just didn't understand what I was fucking talking about. I was like, how'd you fucking do fucking counterinsurgency in Iraq for 10 years? Like. And why do you need all these bodyguards? No one here is going to shoot you. Right. He was
2: whisked away.
1: And then why are you whisked away when people ask you tough questions? Like, stop being a pussy. And so I have no respect for Michael Flynn. I don't give a shit if he's a general.
0: Fuck him. Do you hear that, Michael Flynn? Do you hear what he just said?
1: Well, he heard it in person. He's
0: not. Louis Louis Gomert should be president of the United States. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I talked to him about this stuff and he immediately understood it understood all the facts and as a former judge was like yes this is a case that could win yeah that guy yeah, I mean, got his head on straight knows what he's talking about
0: no bullshit all right so I'm going to throw some names out here and I want you to give me your unvarnished views which I don't even need to like I don't need to put a disclaimer on it, but I want you to give reviews on these people. Always unvarnished. All right, so uh, Trey, Gou- Trey-, Trey Gowdy.
1: The most boring man on television history. Trey Gowdy? Boring.
2: Yeah.
0: Glenn Youngkin. Stooge. Joe Biden. Child molester. <laughs> Donald Trump
1: <sighs> not friends with him but he can get the job done
0: okay um, Ron DeSantis he's got a choice to make Ted Cruz fag <laughs> Greg Abbott.
1: He is surprised that he's got as far as he has. He has no internal moral compass. And he feels like the DeSantis Trump side is going to win, so he's going to align himself with that and hope he gets through and he's got like a wet dream about being president which is never gonna happen.
0: Ken Paxton. A badass. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez.
1: Smarter than people give her credit for. Also an unmitigated bartender slut.
0: Barack Obama.
1: T- took it up the ass at least once.
0: <laughs> Bernie Sanders. A crypto Republican. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, Nancy Maybe Pelosi. one
1: of the most subversive guys in the country.
0: You still got some love there, I can say. Way more
1: conservative than people think he is.
0: That's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, Nancy Pelosi.
1: A drunk, degenerate daughter of a raping and murdering mafia clan from Baltimore.
0: Kamala Harris.
1: Uh, Drunk 24-7. I don't think she understands what's happening.
0: Okay. Gavin Newsom.
1: Empty suit.
0: Josh Hawley.
1: Not up to what he thinks he's up to.
0: Tom Cotton. A liar. Hmm. Okay. Um, Brian Kemp. Compromised.
1: Uh, on multi-levels uh, by the Chinese. When we were doing the il- post-election investigation... We found some curious things that he was storing in the Italian version of Dropbox. We stored those. We have those. Um, he has taken money from the Chinese. He is corrupt. He has taken bribes. Uh, he should. Pro- I mean, he's not going anywhere. He's never getting elected to higher office, but he should probably cr- be criminally indicted at some point. Uh, I think he's one of the scummiest governors in the country. And he's a—he's terrified of violence against his family, which I get. Like, you know, no matter what you do, like you had a family. But you know what? Don't put yourself in that position if you can't handle it, Brian.
0: Brad Raffensberger.
1: He might be the biggest fag I've ever seen.
0: (laughs) Stacey Abrams.
1: A lot more respect for her than Raffensperger.
0: Lindsey Graham. (sighs)
1: Lindsey Graham is like, uh, the third dorky, like not cool guy that gloms on to the fucking high school quarterback. And is like, yeah, I'm with this crew.
2: No one in South
0: Carolina even thinks highly of him. Yeah, and that's a mystery, is how do these people in South Carolina, and I'm, the next person I'm going to put out there is Nikki Haley. What do you think about Nikki Haley?
1: She was much more adroit at fucking her way to the top than Kamala Harris.
0: Okay, I got to I gotta process that. I, I know you've got some inside baseball on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, anybody else that we can think of that we want to—I um, can't think of anybody else that's relevant that we should. Christy, Nome. Yeah. What do you think about her? Corey Lewandowski? Is that a real thing? Corey Lewandowski
1: was a cop. I think Corey is very simple. Yeah. I don't think I don't think there's a lot of like. I don't think Corey has a lot of like, uh, I think Corey has like issues. Right. But I don't think that he's like driven by his issues. I think he's just kind of like-
0: A regular guy. He's just got A regular
1: cop and he's got some issues and he says what he thinks. And like, it's really kind of random that he ended up being a prominent individual.
0: Yeah, and I want to talk about that a little bit because there was a real cast of characters that coalesced around Trump whenever he ran for president. We're talking about Corey Lewandowski was his campaign manager, and then he brought in Paul Manafort, who we should I should talk about Steve Bannon. Nah. Yeah, let's let, let's talk about Bannon. Paul Manafort, I thought, was outstanding in what he did. Um, Roger Stone, of course, is is an interesting guy, and I mostly like Roger Stone. Roger uh,
1: Stone is a political. Gadfly, if you ask a Casella Corridor. What I would say is he's not a political Gadfly. He's just a dude that likes banging everybody. And, and that's fine. And he's kind of like Libertine. He's kind of like wearing a toga in AD 33. Like, he's just kind of a degenerate weirdo.
2: Tattoo yeah, I mean he, with he's
1: a tattoo of Nixon on his back. Like I don't know what he's doing, yeah. but I don't really have a problem with what he's doing. But I really like I don't think that he's like serious about any of it. I think he's just having a good time.
0: Yeah, no, I think so too. I mean he's he he's a he's like
1: hey, it's crazy, and and I, I'm like if you've ever been to the Abbey in West Hollywood, like this big gay bar that i people there. go to, you know, yeah. like I feel like Roger Stone is just like. The like straight like maybe I'll fool around with a dude.
2: Oh like, boy,
1: like just like ah! like that's Roger Stone.
0: Sorry, so let's get to Bannon. What do you think about Steve Bannon? Because that's
1: Bannon is CIA.
0: Okay, so tell me why Bannon CIA.
1: Once CIA, always CIA.
0: So when was he involved with the CIA? Like, tell me, tell me, tell us about that.
1: Okay, so. Do you do you are you familiar with the uh, prior to it becoming like known by too many people and becoming common knowledge, the fact that the CIA used the Office of Naval Intelligence and Naval Intelligence officers as their cover to operate in the District of Columbia for about 25 years?
0: I was not aware of that. When did that start?
1: Mm, 60 65 somewhere in there
0: so bannon was in the navy
1: bannon was a naval intelligence officer allegedly okay.
0: so so but so being he, a
1: naval intelligence officer was the go-to cover for domestic cia operations in the 80s
0: so do you think bannon okay so if bannon is he a cia asset to this day from yes. your vantage point yes what is he what is he trying to accomplish
1: Whatever is whatever his orders are. Yeah. When you're, when you're an asset or an agent and not in charge, you take orders and you follow them.
0: All right, so you, is Bannon... Um, on is anybody's
1: he, side? No. He's on his side slash order's
0: side. I mean, he seems to me like a guy that's just... He's looking for a home. Like, I mean, he was involved he's in done. these populist movements in Europe after Trump got... I mean, after he was you know, left the Trump campaign. uh, I'm a really uh, connected guy. If
1: I wanted to be involved in populist movements in Europe, I could go do it. He's not involved in populist movements in Europe because he wants to go do it. He's involved in populist movements in Europe because he's got orders that say, go be involved in populist movements in Europe.
0: So what do you think about Jack Posobiec? He's a prison guard. Why would I think about him? Uh, Well, he's tight with Bannon. They go on The War Room. You know, if you're saying Bannon is a CIA asset and people have said— They're they're
1: not that talented. I've gotten them to put something up the flagpole a fucking hundred times on Twitter and their social media outlets. These guys are not as smart as you think they are.
0: Well, and that leads to a whole other thing about how the right— Embraces people like this. You think about like in 2015, whenever Trump started to take off, you had this grifter gang of guys that were kind of looking for a home via Twitter, talking about like Mike Cernovich and Jack Posobiec and guys that were kind of in this Manosphere thing, and then they kind of jumped on board the Trump train. They got a lot of notoriety, a lot of fame, and you know some of them monetized it. And well, I don't- it,
1: I, I, I don't understand someone who cares about that. Like, I can't really comment on it because like, it's so foreign to me. Like, I don't, I, it's so far be like Twitter came into its own, you know, like 13 years ago or whatever. And I was running a game studio in Hollywood and it was a big deal. And And everybody like William Morris and the publicists and the jerk offs were all like, oh, you got to get on Twitter and like build a following and stuff. And I got on Twitter and I like posted once and then I was like, all right, I get Twitter. And then I posted twice and I was like, eh, this seems like a waste of time. And I think it's a surveillance tool. And then I posted a third time and my third post was, I don't think I'm going to post again. And I didn't for 10 years. So like... I don't really truck with that whole thing. Like I I think that I don't want to say that I think that there are at least 50,000 or 250,000 people that have the same opinion. But maybe none of them are talking or maybe they're all retired or maybe they don't care. But like my whole point of view on Twitter from the beginning was this is just a surveillance tool and it, and this is DIA from the beginning and NSA from the beginning. Why would I post shit on this?
2: Yeah. And,
1: and so I never bothered with it, even though like idiot, useful idiots in the agencies like William Morris or whatever, like you got to get on Twitter. So you get a following and do this. And this is before like anyone knew Twitter existed. Right. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. Cause like, I just don't like it. It's not my thing. And so I think that there's this whole, like people think that there's this overarching conspiracy and control of like a few people like making things. That doesn't happen. There's no way that happens. People can't keep a fucking secret between two people. Maybe, maybe <laughs> if they're really connected, Elizabeth would never tell on you. But but that's, that's not normal human nature. And so... Like the whole thing just seems like a dragnet. And I was like, eh, fuck that. So anybody that is dumb enough to think that that gets them something long term or changes the course of history is, I have no respect for them. And the people that think it's just a good way to communicate, I, I don't have any respect for them. I understand that it's a useful marketing tool. That's different than the other two, right? So Posobiec is like, I live on Twitter and I'm getting followers. This is my Jack Posobiec voice. Um, But fuck that noise. But like, you've got a podcast. And so like, Twitter's a valuable, like I've paid money for Twitter ads for, you know, games or movies. Uh, I don't think it's a, it's not a discredited platform. It's a marginal platform to some degrees. It's getting to the point where it's like, kind of like the yellow pages with people writing notes next to it. It's like a combination of like graffiti on a bathroom stall plus the yellow pages.
2: Fun
0: to be to go. That's a pretty damn accurate description, dude.
1: Right? And so yeah. like, if if you can make it useful or when I was like juicing like this game or that game to like market it to people and like get some people to look at it, like Twitter could be useful to do that. But other than that, like I don't think there's any value there.
0: I think it's a good point because it is hard to monetize. I know some people that have, you know, well over a hundred thousand followers, and they still find it difficult to monetize Twitter. I mean, it's you. It, it, it provides. For, go ahead. For, I mean, it does provide it, a marketing utility. It yes, does. Yes. Yeah.
1: Even yeah. E, e, if it's organic, that's great. If it's paid, great. Like it's just like I think people are like Twitter is a thing. Ah it's no different than a billboard like you can pay x amount for billboards and bus wraps in los angeles right and you can pay x amount to get through on twitter it's the same thing you can pay google ads you can buy tv ads it's just these are marketing channels not not channels that actually provide real discourse between
0: That's not me, I mean, by the way.
1: That's me. These are not <laughs> channels that provide real discourse. They're mainly just about selling ads.
0: Right. Right. So what do you think is the best way to um, get the word out with other people? I mean, like I, I guess Twitter could be okay with that if it's like just, you know, a marketing
1: platform. Word of mouth. Yeah. Um the average human being knows 150 people all right how many so you know 150 i mean i think you know more than the average human being
0: right right right
1: and so do i and so does elizabeth and so does lasad was he in an interview with a vampire by the way
0: (laughs) i don't know i'm gonna have to have he's gonna have to type that out in the chat
1: lasad were you an interview with a vampire
0: (laughs) holy shit that is really good no he no you're up to his game he says, it's a name I made up. No, I mean, I think there was a Lassad in Interview the Vampire. There movie. is a Lassad.
2: I mean, yeah, I there think. Is, yeah, there's a Lassad. I think. Yeah. yeah.
0: Underrated yeah. movie. Underrated.
2: The name I just, made up. For, Tom Cruise was Lassad. For,
0: what was I going to calculate here? What were we talking about? No, we were talking about, what's the? you said word of mouth is the best way to oh, spread yeah, yeah. A and, and everybody knows 150 people, right? Right.
1: And then each of those 150 people know 150 people. So... I don't know if you'll see the math on the, uh, on the screen. Let's see. Yeah,
2: There's you 150, can see
1: 150 people, no 150 people. And then those 150 people, no 150 people. And those people, no 150 people. And then those people, no 150 people. How many is that?
0: I think I, I can't see it. I think we're looking like 500 million there. Right. Yeah
1: in three degrees that's the power of a social network predating the concept of website social networks that that's existed since the beginning of time so if you want something to be watched and it's good you don't need to truck with any of the nonsense you just need 150 people to tell their friends to watch it
0: and they're committed i mean they're engaged i mean they're not just gonna you need i mean 150 engaged people in your life is pretty damn impactful i mean if you have that right hugely impactful yeah
1: so like the social network effect is massive it's like a virus spreading it's got a high row and so If you don't have that, you're going to have to pay for it. And Twitter is a fine place to pay for it. And if you don't have that and you don't have the money to pay for it, you might be able to bootstrap your way up. Yeah. But your ability to bootstrap up your network effect doesn't have anything to do with whether what you're saying is meaningful. It just says whether you're good at bootstrapping your network up.
0: I th- dude, you're and so I on, think Jack Posobiec
1: yeah. is an example of someone who's good at bootstrapping their network, but doesn't necessarily have anything interesting to say.
0: Dude, I think I think that's what's happening right now on Twitter as it, it's an echo chamber. It's a lot of the same shit over and over again. And we can get that content from anywhere. I mean, who's saying something now, of course, a I lot I of can inter- go
1: to a blog or I can get on the federal. Like, is there a difference between Twitter and the Federalist right now? I don't think there is no the federalist is like more words but it's the same people just saying the same shit saying the same shit just
0: more words right Right. and so okay so listen I I want to I want to pivot topics here a little bit and it's somewhat related to what we're talking about is so a term that's being thrown around a lot these days is national divorce I don't know what that means. Okay. So, I mean, we've had, you know, Michael Malice talked about it. Is this it a like a, ago.
1: like a, like in a sell a corridor version of like civil war? Or well, see, that,
0: well, that, well, that's the thing is that I don't think there are many different interpretations of what it means. Okay. So, you know, one of my friends who we're going to have on the show, David Ray Boy, has written an article entitled National Divorce. It's expensive, but worth every penny. And his belief is that people that are more right-minded of our persuasion need to move to red states and fortify red states vote for the right people at the local regional state level and really develop um you know i mean and fortify is the right word fortify these states where we can push back against federal government overreach and we've already seen that happen since COVID started with people moving from like yourself moving from california to texas you know me moving you know living in texas but staying in a red state moving to florida and we're seeing that happen in droves the last couple of years it's the
1: largest human migration in history
0: period bar none yeah so you see people that they they want they want to be around people that have the same values they want to be in a more favorable country they, they, they don't want to be taking their taxes you know they don't i mean look at california they're going to be doubling by
1: the way you have an excellent radio voice
0: i appreciate that i appreciate that
1: um, you
0: do no I, I thank you thank you my, 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 my wife agrees thank you liz thank you <laughs> so we've got um this soft splitting already starting to happen where people are fortifying. Oh, yeah. these... So so what is California?
1: That kind of, my uh, other than foreign policy and geopolitical shit. California is not really in the same
0: country as Texas and Florida anymore. It's not. Well, tell us about. And I've your, been back and forth between these places for two years. Okay, so listen. I, I lived in L.A. for two years. You've been in the video game business. You've been in you know film production. You're a lead actor in your in your own film, which is fucking amazing. And we need to talk about that before we finish tonight. Thank you. So so you have a great understanding of like you grew up in Texas, you were in California during kind of the last bit of the golden years, which yes. I kind of I was. When too. I was first there, it was still golden. Yeah. And then it went to shit really fast. So tell us what's happened. Like you've been traveling back and forth. What's going on with California right now? What have you noticed? I explained it to people and they don't really get it. So I've I've
1: devolved to a lowest common denominator the way that I think maybe people over a certain age might get it which is that going from California to Texas or California to Florida or New York to Texas or New York to Florida, going from those states to the other, the only thing that I can think of that is remotely close is crossing the Iron Curtain during the Cold War in the 60s, 70s, and 80s it is that different and i don't think people understand it's that different because people are not traveling as much they're not traveling
0: they are not traveling right now
1: no i have traveled through is it 16 states now yes i've been in 16 states in the past 20 months or whatever it is and 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 so is my wife and we've we have seen california colorado and arizona and new mexico and and oklahoma and texas and louisiana and mississippi and alabama and georgia and south carolina new jersey and new york and and i really don't know how to like i explain it to people in uh, on both ends of it and they don't really get it no matter how like extraordinary i make my Dialect, or diction, or
2: word <laughs> choice, and, yeah. and
1: and I'm like, no, no, no. It's like it's like you're in East Berlin, and then you cross over to West Berlin. That's what it's like.
0: People do not understand this, money. They're I not know. getting it. I
1: know they don't get it. It's like escape
2: from L.A. One thing that
1: shocks. York. I don't understand why they don't get it at the federal level because I know for a fact because I worked on software projects that involve things that the nsa does or the cia does and got paid good money for it and it paid for the movie thanks cia <laughs> and,
2: and, uh, <laughs>
1: and so they know they have they know that like this many people move to this part of the country they, they got the exact numbers they can see how like they might not know who you are which phone connects to which people they don't have enough people to even track that. But they know how they—they they know the aggregate, gross, like, movement of people around the country.
0: So they know what happened. But no one's talking about it. Are they concerned about this? Are they concerned in terms of...
2: I'll move it, set down. What
0: would you say? Are, are they concerned about this? I mean, because they have to know what's going on in terms of people that are kind of ideologically congregating right now. I oh, mean,
1: the, the, that, that's why the Democrats are scared.
0: Yeah. So where do you, where do you think this goes over the next... Because, you know, this whole idea of national divorce, I mean, I don't think that anybody, I mean, thinks that there's going to be like a Civil War two type scenario where you no, have people fighting... No, because one side has all the guns. Yeah, one side has all the guns. I mean, they, they have their hands on the levers of power. In terms of the major institutions. They're all wearing masks. That that's
1: the thing that I think people haven't gotten yet. Is if you go around wearing a mask, you're 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 putting a scarlet letter on yourself. By choice, you're saying I am a submissive person who will acquiesce to any threat. Yes. And So the other side of that debate was never going to do it. They're never going to take the vaccine. I'm unvaccinated. I will never take the vaccine. I'd rather die of the virus. So all of the submissive people that like the statist, feudal nonsense... They're comfortable with being submissive. They like it, but then they get twitchy about it. They get nervous. They're like, I don't know if I should like this. I want everybody else to do it. So I feel ratified in my weakness. And that is annoying. But it's it's destined for failure. Yes. So, do I think something dramatic is going to happen? No. For a lot of reasons, but I think that there is a...
0: That's one hell of a drag, brother.
1: I think we need. I think, I think, we, I think we need to recognize that, like, there's twenty or twenty-five percent of the country that just submitted to statism and authoritarianism immediately,
0: immediately, immediately,
1: and yeah. and, and and continuously for two years, and. And there's no way we can like reason and ration them out of it. And so we're just gonna have to say, no, that's not what it is. And then they'll and because they will just follow the leader, they will come around to what reality is. And I think it's gonna take some time. And I think some people are irrecoverable at this point. But they did it to themselves, so, you know, lie in the bed you made. But you, you see it on, like, Bill Maher with Barry Weiss and stuff. Like, like, even, like, liberals are like, oh, my God, it's over. Please let it be over.
0: And- money, money. how do we feel about this? Because, look, there was a lot. I'm so sick and tired of these people that have fought us tooth and nail. And been a part of this whole apparatus to shut down society, to put masks on kids. Everybody has to be vaccinated. And now they recognize and they realize how stupid this was. And they're me- they have throngs of cheering people saying, oh, we're so happy you've come. They have per- they've given people permission to go back to normality. Well, what but, do we do with these people? Do we, do we embrace them? Do we say, hey, thank you so much? What do we do? Well, we, we certainly shouldn't elevate them.
1: No, right? they, should all, they should all be put in the lowest positions possible. Uh, well, but you got to recognize that like, they chose to be weak, and now they're weak.
0: That's a very simplistic and astute way of putting it. They are weak, and they should be treated that way. We yes. shouldn't be elevating them, saying, "Oh, thank God you came around finally." No. Here, you can go to the front of the line. Thank you so much. It's no. bullshit. We can't they're do that.
1: Just, they're just weak, and they they got comfortable with being weak. And now it's time for strong people to make a great country.
0: So let's let's talk about that a little bit in terms of what the future looks like. Um, do you think that you know? It, it sounds like you think a lot of the notions of national divorce. Like you're four people moving to states that are meeting their needs culturally, financially, economically. That's a good thing. Yeah. You know, do you think this country splitting up into like two places, you know, two countries or multiple countries, is that feasible? Is that possible? Is that a pipe dream?
1: It's feasible. It's possible. I don't think it's necessary. I mean, Texas and Florida run the country. Like, more than any two states have ever run the country. Yeah. Every bit of economic recovery in this country is in two plus a grab bag of other states. California is a wasteland. It looks like a bomb went off there everywhere you go. New York is a wasteland right now. Yeah. Like, these places are decapitated to a degree that has never happened before. And I mean, the closest you might get is like. Reconstruction era south.
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of happening, too. I mean, across the Sun Belt, I mean, these these states are going to continue to attract people. I want to ask you this. So if you're a young man, let's say you're a young guy, you know, you've been out of college for a couple of years and you really want to plan your life out in this age of uncertainty. What would your recommendation be? Do they do, you know, do they move to a big city? Do they move to a rural area? Well, I and- think
1: this is actually one of the good things that has come out of the past two years. This is actually a positive, fundamentally, is extraordinary. And I didn't never this is something I never thought would happen, because i I'm comfortable with a lot of crazy Eventualities. I'm like, you know what? There's probably going to be a war with China, or China's going to have a civil war within by 20 to 35. And everybody's like, that's crazy. And I'm like, oh, well, we'll see. But I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think that's what's going to happen anymore. I think this changed everything. And 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 the thing that I see that's positive is that one thing that Gen X dealt with was that there were no things to explore or get or find, right? All the territory had been discovered. Everything had been mapped out. We'd gone to the moon. Everything was done, right? But now we're in a situation where if you're 18, the world has changed dramatically, and it's created all of these untapped, and unknown and heretofore on non-existent opportunities that you can go out and engage in. So you're back to a world where it's not just this technocratic and oligarchic not post-World War II, New World Order nonsense. You're living in a world where if you can figure out a way to move that truck around the country, you're gonna make like a million dollars a year. And so I think it's good. I think, I I, I don't think anybody planned that. I think they wanted, I think the people in my class, let me be frank. I grew up rich. I went to a prep school. I learned Latin. (laughs)
2: Like
1: (laughs) if I had, if I had just been like a pussy and towed the line, I'd be, you know, the people I'm bitching about. I'm a class trader. Let's put it and not
0: too funny. I'm an absolute class god creator. bless you man god bless you I love you
1: it takes yeah. some time and it takes some energy <laughs> it, it's tiring but I'm an absolute yeah. class traitor. Yeah. and so but I think that there's like an interesting opening up of like dramatic extraordinary opportunities for anyone who is young and wants to go after those in this country. I I know that there's a lot of dumb shit going on and things are bad inflation-wise and supply chain-wise and whatever. But I think that the dramatic shifts that have happened in the past two years have created... They're not territorial discoveries. You can't go to Africa and find a new country or something now. But there's this whole social and business unknown that creates a lot of opportunity for young people and i think that's good if people take advantage of it
0: dude i I, you're you're hitting on probably the most important thing we've talked about all night is you know and that's what the base brotherhood is really about is you know we we look at we want to you know currency is energy right yeah so you know currency is energy you know a transfer of energy in relation to a perception of value yeah and so the most one of the most important things we can do is to transfer energy amongst those of like mind and have the same values and so we can kind of rebuild a parallel economy a new society where we're trans and it, it, it probably involves cryptocurrency of some kind but we can rebuild a new society and that's really never happened so i mean like there's a lot of doom and gloom depending on I know. What- people are very like ah. yeah yeah i mean we're excited dude we are fucking excited about what's going on. Like, I want to encourage people, like, this is the chance to take a risk. This is the opportunity to jump off the entrepreneurial cliff. This is the time to be irreverent and to take that idea, actualize it, and go do something entirely different. Get off the spot. Like, stop being in a place of stasis. You can fucking do it if you want to do it. And that hasn't happened in a long time, dude. A Has long, it not? A long, time. Yeah.
1: So I yeah. think there's a lot of opportunity. I think that people need to recognize that. I don't think it just happens. I think people have to point it out. And I think that it's a unique position in time where nobody has any faith in anything that came before. No. So I the power of a strong, correct idea has never had more currency than it does now.
0: Do you think that the federal government, even though it has a desire to um, regulate us and tax us and oversee everything that we're doing, I don't think they have the ability to actually implement this shit, man.
1: That is correct. Um, and- just look at look at microcosms of it your major like take the top 20 cities that are metropolitan statistical areas that have the biggest crime increases and and those
0: groups love the hat by the way Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> those, those groups don't have
1: a few things that they would have to have to be successful there is a brain drain and drain. It's like a tax drain it's like a mini atlas shrug and everything they're doing is turning to ash and dust in their hands
0: it is it is no matter how much they try the, the harder they try the more elusive it becomes But people need to start taking advantage of it that's the whole thing like the, the time is now you know we were talking a little bit offline about you know and I already know some people that are doing this is they're looking for rural land where they can you know maybe have you know gr- you know grow some crops or have a garden have some livestock, have chickens, and and it sounds crazy, but people are looking to, you know, take advantage of modern technology and you know which is mostly the internet, but they all you know they want to form their own communities and their own tribes, and I really think that's the way forward, and um, it's something that I'm going to be investing time in, you know, over the coming years. But I want to be around. I don't want to be around. I don't want to be in a jungle of people that I don't know, that I don't have anything in common with, I want to be around those of like mind.
2: Yeah. And
0: it's happening right now, right before our eyes, right? I so,
1: I, I am, I, I know a lot of people are sad or worried or stressed about the way things are going, but based on what I know and watching this all happen and being around the country in the course of it, I'm very optimistic. I, I, I thought people would be way less resilient than they were. Wow. And I am impressed with the resilience of the American spirit and the individuals in this country. And I think that they have shown that there is a unstoppable 50 or 60 percent of the country that just will not bend the knee to anyone, whether it's domestic or foreign. And that is probably sending shockwaves around. World for the past six months, and I think that's an extraordinarily powerful situation to be in.
0: Yeah, and and one sec, yeah, sure. All right, guys, we're back with Monty Markland. Monty, I want to touch really quickly. So you've got a really interesting background, you know. So you've been in politics, yep. you know, in, in, in Texas and and you know more recently nationally, but you've also been in video games and you've yep. been in Hollywood, <coughs> Pettawood, you know. No, no, while. no,
1: not everybody out there's like that.
0: Not everybody out there's like that. So you, I want to talk about your film, Malibu Road. Yeah. So you produced a fucking badass film called Malibu Road independently produced one of the very few people that were able to do something like that and I want you to tell us a little bit about Malibu Road like how the idea originated and then all the struggles and fights that you had to go through to produce and release this movie and where you're at now with the whole project.
1: So, and I think that what I'm going to say is going to resonate with a lot of people that actually work in Hollywood in the system and are just tolerating the wokeness. I was bored, I, I wasn't political about it. I was just bored with the postmodern zeitgeist of entertainment. I said, well, postmodernism is kind of run out. If I'm gonna make a movie, I wanna do whatever's next. And I don't know what's next, I'm not a genius. And so I was like, what's, what's after postmodernism? And so we went through a rigorous and deliberative and methodical process of art of figuring out how we could create something that was next. That was after Mm postmodernism.
2: Because I hate
1: postmodernism. I think it's, I mean, maybe it was cool when Marcel Duchamp put a urinal on the wall, but like 50 years later, not that cool. So I was like, we got to do something different. Otherwise, we're just stagnating. So I was like, let's do something that's beyond postmodernism. There's nothing postmodern about what we're doing, we're going to do something completely ignoring all of the postmodern tropes of moving that was really the fundamental drive of what we did and and it informed every every choice we made and then in the course of doing it we realized that in order to get past the postmodern nihilistic nonsense that Hollywood has been sucked into. And I say Hollywood, I've been in, I was in Hollywood for 15 years. Like if, if I go to almost anyone in the country, they'll say you're from Hollywood. And I'll say, yeah. And I was in Hollywood, but like, I don't necessarily associate with the word Hollywood at this point, maybe 10 years ago. I did, but the idea was to make something that was past being postmodern. And so we did it and we were successful at doing it. And I think it, it got caught up in a lot of geopolitical, social ideological and philosophical philosophical conflicts. I am not shy about supporting Bernie hard and supporting Trump hard. And I think that a movie that a guy makes that's like that is probably going to be equally polarizing. And Hollywood is just not ready to yet. Hopefully they will be. To escape from and Bill Maher's most recent episode is a positive development in the direction get out of their postmodern nihilism and Malboro is a fun movie I mean it's an old fashioned fun movie, you watch it, you have a good time, you go home, you fuck your wife, or your girlfriend it's all done <laughs> You, I dare anybody who has an active or potentially active sex life to go see the movie with a girl or a guy and not go with fuck. <laughs> I'll give you your money back. I'll give you, I will send you a check for your ticket. If that does not happen. So. Like, why should you watch it? Because it's fun. Why should I talk about it? Because it's about more than just a movie. Malibu Road is a point in human history that I, I didn't know it would end up this way. I just, I just wanted to make a movie. I was like, let's make a movie. It'd be cool. But what ended up happening is through my interactions with the executive committee of the Chinese Communist Party and my interactions with some woke diversity inclusion and equity jokers and some nihilists and some child molesters and just a bunch of insane dumb idiots who just waste money. I realized that there is no universe where I am a part of Hollywood and people see the movie I made. It's never mm. going to happen. Mm. So people are going to see it. I I know for a fact millions of people are going to watch the movie. That's obvious. It's been obvious since we finished it. But I think that everybody in Hollywood is so obsessed with the immediate gratification that they don't understand someone being patient. And a lot of them have really serious psychological problems or have committed felonies. And so my message to everybody would be, there is actually light at the end of the tunnel I'm at the end of the tunnel it's a-okay
0: how can people watch this movie right now how can we watch Malibu Road you have to call me how do people get in touch with you that's part of the game (laughs) it's the hardest
1: movie in history
0: to watch all right, so what are you what are you doing with distribution right now? Like how do you how can you take this, I mean it's it's destined to be a cult classic. I know that at the minimum, but how do how, how can people I mean how are you getting it out there? I'm not. Okay. So, is there a website people can go to and download the movie, they can watch the movie? How can people access no. it? No. They can't.
1: I said it was after postmodernism. I'm not playing around. This is all chips on the table. You can't
0: get.
1: You can't get this movie.
2: All right, guys. If
1: you can figure out how to get this movie, you win.
0: All right, so we're posting the trailer, which we did today, but we're going to repost it. And I want you. Do you understand what
1: I'm saying, Alex? Do you understand what I'm doing?
0: I, I, I I think I get half of it. What half do
1: you not get?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I want people to see the movie because I watched. Sunrise. I'm not. I'm, watched, not gonna a, I'm not going
1: to be. I'm not going to be a solipsistic idiot like Biden. I want people to watch the movie too. But I'm still going to do what I think is correct from a business point of view.
0: Yeah, I mean, everybody that watches the trailer is like, they want to oh, watch fuck, the movie. Holy fucking shit! This is awesome because it's, it's, it, 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 it just it, there's a timelessness. So, hang on. I mean, yeah, get yeah, out yeah of, Go ahead. Get
1: get out of your head for a second. All right,
0: all right, all right. I
1: got. Do you, Do you know how many people have watched the trailer?
0: um two million people have watched the trailer
1: 17 million people have watched the trailer
0: 17 million how many have seen the movie full length uh 500 okay so what the hell are we going to do
1: well we've never let anybody else watch the movie unless it's under a controlled circumstance
0: so it's got to be like a private screening with the man himself monty markland to no. (laughs) No, if
1: somebody can figure out how to get a copy of it and pirate it, (laughs)
0: they can get it done. Nobody's figured it out yet. Well, I was going to say, knowing you, that's not going to be such an easy task. I'm a pretty Um, tough
1: uh, cybersecurity challenge. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, I mean, in terms of distribution, what are you working on right now? Like how, I mean, just give it, come on, give us a peek under the tent. We want to know. How do we watch Malibu Road? How do we, you know, I mean, when is this thing coming out? I mean, what do we do? We want to see this great piece of art, man. Well,
1: I would counter with the question, if you're bothered by wokeism, if you're a liberal who doesn't like masks, if you're a Republican who doesn't like CRT, if you'd like entertainment that wasn't political, it was just sexy and fun. Maybe you should check it out. But
2: <laughs> if you want
1: to check it out, you got to get all the way to the end of the game and we're still in the middle of the game.
0: All right, guys, this you is a to, challenge.
1: You got to take that mask off. You got to stop taking the boosters. You got to stop being stupid. You got to stop being a statist. You got to stop being a submissive fag so that I don't have to rescue your ass from a fucking gas camp. when you do that you get the movie and then your world will be wide open you'll get to go on an acid trip without taking acid
0: oh man
1: but you have to come to me not because i care but because that's what's necessary in today's times
0: dude i think that's a great way i i think that's a great way to leave it and people need to really think about what you're saying and they need to figure out what they need to do because I'm I mean, willing look, to put.
1: I, I spent two million dollars of cash, and like one point five million dollars of time making that, and I'm holding it back for a reason. And the reason I'm holding it back is because it's it's beyond what is postmodern. It's beyond nihilism. It's beyond wokeism. It is back to real culture and real art and the dynamic between men and women. And you will enjoy it. It'll be the greatest ride you've ever had. But nothing is free. You can pay $15 for a ticket to the theaters. Or you can just reevaluate what's going on around yourself in the world. And maybe you get it for free.
0: All right. So, guys, I want you to think about what Monty's saying right now. And, Monty, I want to leave everybody with this. How do they get in touch with you? What's the, what's the, is there an email address? I know you're on Twitter a little bit, but you're not a huge fan of it. How do people get in touch with Monty Marklin?
1: Oh, well, they contact you.
0: Okay. We can handle that. We got that. Not a problem.
1: I know you. I trust you. If somebody contacts you and you trust them and they
0: want to talk to me, I'll talk to them. All right. Guys, you heard it from Monty, the man himself. Monty, so listen, um, this has been phenomenal. Did you want me to say fuck Joe Biden once? Let's go, Brandon. Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) I think you just did. But can you say it with emphasis, please? Fuck Joe Biden. (laughs) And with that, we are going to wrap this up. Monty, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And I want you to come back. Very soon, we got, we, guys, we're just scratching the surface of.
1: Uh... Well, we didn't get into, which we should get into. Yeah. Don't. I'm sorry to interrupt.
0: Yeah, what do we want to talk about next time? Well, we need to talk about China. We need to talk about China. I
1: spent 15 years fighting made members. Think about it as the mafia. Made members of the executive committee of the Chinese Communist Party. Spent 15 years fighting them in Hollywood. And it did not come without a cost. The cost was not that great. I want people to know that you can just say, fuck off, China. And it's not a big deal. Like, it didn't stop me. So, but it did take a little bit of, like, jumping off the cliff to do it. Because everybody was like, oh, we'll just take the Chinese money. And I was like, no, the Chinese money's not like the Japanese money. They bought Sony and Tristar and they just wanted to be cool. That's all the Japanese wanted. But the Chinese, that's not what they're about. It's all about nationalism for them. It's all about Han Chinese superiority. And they are spending billions of dollars a week to try to manipulate and destroy everything that you care about. And you can't let that happen. It's not about my movie or me talking or Alex talking or whatever. They want to destroy your whole life. They want to make you a slave like the Uyghurs are. Because they're a totalitarian, feudal, psychopathic regime and I can give you specific line item examples from personal and professional experience of how they operate and what they do but that's for another episode
0: man that's powerful stuff and this is something where you know we've talked a little bit about it but honestly it is is uncharted waters And I want to hear all about it. We're going to get you back on here in the next couple of weeks. Um, We're going to drop this episode probably early next week. And, Monty, I just want to thank you so much for joining us at the Base Brotherhood tonight. It's been a phenomenal conversation. I can't wait for people to see this. And I know they're going to want to see a lot more from you.